What's up, yeah. everybody? Welcome to Smoke and Mirrors, episode three. For episode three, we have acclaimed author Laura Albert, aka JT Leroy. But first, we're gonna call up Tyler Benz. See what the fuck's been going on. Uzi, I am proud of you. I said, Slime, I'm proud of you. He said, That's a really kid. I said, This is a really kid. I am a Splistonian. Look how big this really is. Uzi, I am proud of you. What's up, bro? What's going on? Listen to this. Back in the booth, blacked out in the booth, Smoke and Mirrors, episode three. It's a fucking movie for real. It's a movie, baby. You smoking Beautiful on day in Los Angeles, California. I'm yes, back. I'm smoking on on Marlboro Lights. It's a Marlboro Light summer. It's a Corona Light summer. It's really making me want a Corona Light and a Marlboro Light right now at 2 p.m. Right in the middle of a Palm Desert, California, Friday afternoon. Enjoying another episode. Look, there's really nothing better than a cold CL with a heater ml <laughs> that is it's the perfect, perfect combo. combo it's been a while since we've done an episode i think it's been four or five weeks even though we've been trying to get it in dude it feels like the weeks have been flying by but for good reason because we we got a lot to talk about now yeah we, we do have a lot ready. in the can it now like we first of all we got vaccinated which is sick so our corona journey's over which is great we were traveling to cursed Florida, Florida, USA. So you got to take the right precautions. I agree. In my own mind, I was an essential worker because we had to make a certain artist in the All the Smoke universe go number one for the first time in his career. And Let's go. We, air horn. <laughs> yeah, air horn. Shout out the big dog Rod Wave with the album Soulfly. 133,000 units first week debuting number one on the Billboard charts charting 14 songs simultaneously on the hot 100 still number one on the hip-hop charts on week two you know rod is a musical genius and um one of the best recording artists probably to ever walk the face of the earth <laughs> and he laid 18 perfect tracks down for soul fly shout out alamo records worked their ass off to you know make sure that album was really uh something special myself is alamo money team Alamo Mikey, oh. they put me on track number one on the outro as the um, cosplaying as the flight attendant of the Soulfly play. That's a Plane. that's a that's a smoke and mirrors exclusive. Yeah, you should you should drop it in right here. Yeah, like next time I'm in a, I'm in a rap battle, you know, or a cipher, or what have you, I'm just gonna like spit my um, flight attendant bars like mid battle. <laughs> like the camera's gonna pan to me, and I'm gonna be like, everyone, buckle your seatbelts, get ready for a safe takeoff. <laughs> Take off. Make sure your seat backs are secure in the upright and locked position. Get my soul flies. Get my soul flies. We'll be moving through the cabin for a final safety check and ask that you please review the safety regulation card located in the seat pocket in front of you. Now sit back. Everyone's gonna lose their mind. I, I, I peaked at number 54 on the Hot 100 with it, and um, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Was number one should, on the Billboard charts for a week. <laughs> you should think about doing your own tiny desk. Yeah, I mean, look, the, my next album is coming. You know, we we went down it. to Tampa and kind of started a, a bender that I don't know if it's ended yet. It's kind of a creative bender, if you will. <laughs> but, yeah, well, we were in a creative uh, lull for a little bit. Well, yeah. not necessarily, just 
Well, we we were focused on stacking, you know, low volume DeFi altcoins, which paid out in dividends. <laughs> so we just had exactly. we had to make a little money because these wrap checks weren't really hitting. And you know, shout out Chainlink since our last episode. I think it's doubled in price since we last spoke about it. Obviously, obviously, last episode we discussed like dropping the first music video NFT and how everyone was going to copy us immediately and try to take all the swag from us and take all the money from us. And that's exactly what happened. We dropped the first killer NFT with Smoke Perp. And then literally everyone in the world from Tom Brady to Paris Hilton to Gronk to every rapper out copied the swag. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the first one through the door usually gets smoked in a bad way. A <laughs> lot then, of people, yeah. You a know what I'm saying? People didn't even know what we were talking about when we were dropping that NFT. People were like, right. what's that NFT? And now, you know, we always early with it. <laughs> When's a rod NFT? Are they up on that yet? Well, we'll get to what the next NFT is gonna gonna be. I think people will be pretty excited about that. It, it rhymes with bet banks, but we could <laughs> l- let's take us back to Tampa because I think all of that will really lead to where we are at now in our creative bender <laughs> midway on totally. Very like so we touched down in Tampa. We didn't know if Rod was going to make it to the shoot. He was kind of getting inspiration for his next album out in San Juan, Puerto Rico, kicked up on the beach with ATR Sun Sun on the ATR, Tweezy ATR team. But um, copped the Airbnb, hit some of the strip clubs, had a good time. Shout out Rob. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) the whole big dog touched down in the PJ, hopped in the Cullinan with the flip flops, drove himself in the Cullinan to the Airbnb. Hopped out the Cullinan and hit his late night debut, and we smashed Jimmy Fallon fucking tonight performance with Rod Wave. Yep. Shout out though to the failing New York Times posting it, and <laughs> everyone else in the world pretty much. He did a Shout rendition of Tombstone, yeah. And uh, we kind of wanted to show Florida down on the river. It was kind of highly gen- creative. Yeah, talk about that creative a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know the lyrics in the song are "By the river they will carry me." So we'll get to this later, but we had to knock out two shoots that day. So we wanted a house with two distinct looks and just turned out that this one looked straight up like the Everglades or something. And, but little do you know, based on like the drone shot and all the footage that it's about five minutes from the the Tampa airport, (laughs) but Hey, we made it work. And the, honestly, the performance is so like soulful and beautiful that I genuinely teared up when we were shooting it. It was fucked up. <laughs> he does. I have that on footage. Like we kind of flew in with yeah, the no drone, and then he steps in and nails it with one one take. Everyone should go in check that flops, out. Yeah, go Google Rod Wave, Jimmy Fallon. Pull up that Tombstone live on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon performance shot by all the smoke. That's a real classic one. Performing Tombstone from his number one album, Soul Fly, here is Rod Wave. All these people laying, they love saying my name. Make sure you write the truth in them. Game on my tombstone and they bury me. By the river they will Finally, I'll be resting in peace. Finally. Finally, finally. 
I mentioned that we uh, we did two shoots in one day at that house. So I don't know if it's going to be out by the time this podcast drops. We're big fans of filmmaker Les Blank, and he did a. It's on Criterion, I believe, but he did a documentary on Lightning Hopkins that is shot all on thir- uh, all in sixteen millimeter, kind of back in Lightning Hopkins' hometown, and kind of like a D.A. Penny Baker style, like sixties look. So that's what we are gonna try to do and did do so we did in the hometown and you know sprinkled sprinkled 16 millimeter footage salt based style amongst the a cam i think i the edits done turned in i think it looks absolutely magical to be honest who is this artist you keep referring to what he's called what again lightning hopkins lightning hopkins Hmm. he is you should know who that is, Justin. Come on now. I know who he is, but our <laughs> listeners may not. <laughs> yeah, true. We we skew young, I guess. But uh, he's a he's a blues musician, uh, kind of in Delta blues style. Uh, and he was one of those like blues artists that would also who would be on the bill with a lot of like San Francisco, like Summer of Love artists. So. He, he would be like an opener for the Grateful Dead one night, an opener for Jefferson Airplane or whatever. And it kind of, it's, it is true, true, like down home roots music, but he, he's just straight up legend, you know? And I think influenced a lot of like sixties artists like Jerry and to a degree, he's a lick master. And we just wanted to really do his music justice and honored everything that helped inspire him to get to that point. He knocked it out. I mean, one take on mostly all of them, good renditions. He was, you know, this is already in genius. He said in a few interviews, so he was texting Drake, like while he was there kind of talking about some shit with Drake. It's in the press though, that Drake wanted him on lemon pepper. Yeah. Drake wanted him on lemon pepper freestyle and rod got quote-unquote cold feet and just kind of uh, curved him and said we'll link later on another track which is just like a boss move speaks to his level of talent like where he's headed and so we knocked that out you know hit the clubs again to celebrate kind of went a little brazy and i woke up the next day you know met a mask full of low volume DeFi altcoins just surging and you know just had to flip some of that into an nft purchase with our buddies at how long gone just kind of make him sweat it a little bit and bought the um the how long gone rookie card just went ahead and did it two ETH you're coins. a patron of the arts you're a patron of the podcast yeah two of those valuable eth coins going to our homies them jeans and chris black at how long gone and <laughs> they, they spoke about me on their podcast and called me a crypto branzino and kind of just said they're gonna make fun of me and made fun of smoke perp and made fun of smoke and you know so it's smoke now bro we're gonna go on there and we're gonna talk to them a little bit about what life is like in the, all the smoke universe he ain't an artiste when he comes into my fucking studio baby i'm picasso and, the, and how long gone okay yes. uh, but anyway you know uh the the person who won his name's justin justin staple he does produce music videos and uh you know like we said in the agreement if it goes for a lot of money uh, we will be nice to you, and if it doesn't go for that much money, 
we will be less pleasant to you. And I think Justin knows, and we all know that it, it falls into the latter of the two. <laughs> yeah. Justin, I would I put the vest on, bro. We'll reach out to you shortly, but yeah. I would have the te I would have the Kevlar ready. So, you know so yeah, his his username at all the smoke um, is quite fitting. I love when a plan comes together. After Tampa came back, edited it all, sent it off, reset. I was packing up my LA apartment, and then the homie Chet Hanks hit me up, and he was like, "Bruh, bruh." It's like time. Bruce Buffer, it's time. We got to get one in. Bro, bro. <laughs> and I was like... Uh, you want to talk about range. Going from sh shooting Rod Wave to Night Show to touching down back in LA and linking with the big homie Chet Hanks, FKA Chet Hayes. <laughs> That's rare. That is right what there. I consider range. <laughs> we were kind of like the creative bender, so like we shot it and then we went number one. And then, um, and I'm talking number one on the Billboard charts. That's like the dream for every artist. And so we were kind of in the middle of that. And it just seemed right for Chet Hanks to hit us up when we were at number one, because he's number one in the corny streets. And, you know, what better collab than all the smoke Chet Hanks? There should be a billboard of cringe, like the, the cringe top 100 in which Chet Hanks is number one at all times. Twitter trending topics could be like a kickoff from what that is. With Trump banned from social media, you know, he was kind of the king of cringe, I feel like. And now it's a free for all. Everyone trying to do attention grabs, just be as lame and cringy as possible. But like Lord right. knows, and you'll see this in our new movie, American Rap Star, we are attracted to that. Like the more someone's like annoying or canceled, like kind of the more I'm into it. Like, it's just kind of funny to me. I don't know. And, totally. That yeah, is, yeah. that is the, the social currency is how cringe you are. Yeah. You say with Takashi six, nine, little pump, those kind of guys. I mean, also this weekend, tomorrow at the time of taping, big fight coming up. The, the heavyweight cringe title is on the line. Jake Paul Askren. Let's fucking go. I think Jake's going to go. <laughs> and we got Logan Floyd Mayweather coming. I mean, Jake and Logan, people hate those guys. They hate them. It makes their blood boil. And Jake's going to knock out Askren and then sell the clip as an NFT immediately after. And it's just, it's just an absolute zoovy. I'm going to, I think I'm going to place the bet like when they're walking out because I just don't fucking know. I'm going to do a hundred on Jake Paul. I mean, hopefully I'll be able to get the episode out before the fight. I don't know how that's going to work, but. And uh, I'll bid on the NFT of the knockout clip. Jake Paul all day tomorrow. This is going to be his biggest fight yet. And then he's going to get a shot at Connor after that. And You were talking about hopping off the jet from Florida and immediately getting hit up by questionable king Chet Hanks. Right. Let me crack this cacti for this saga. Okay, because everyone listening right now, this is probably why you're listening to the episode. Right, we've <laughs> be we've, honest. we've done something bad, bad, and um, <laughs> I don't feel great about it. But at the same time, I'm so fucking bored that it just it's just necessary that it happens. I don't know. I'm that my take on it, and this is we, I guess, shot and directed. Well, Ch Chet kind of directed too, but the. Uh, the white boy summer video and i uh, this is what i tweeted because it's all i could really think to say about it is that this is some like high level cultural art that i don't even really understand yet we made it 
But everyone else seems to understand in their own way and is vocal about it. Yeah. Which I think the smart thing is to wait and see like what any of this means and zoom out a little bit. You know? Yeah, whenever there's controversy, you know, when I started working at Vice in 2010, it was controversial brand and that was the whole point. Whenever there's controversy, right. you're gonna find me in that bitch. But <laughs> let's just break it down and get up. the saga from the jump. The man has been acting for 10 years and he knows how to do a bit. I mean, he's done comedic roles on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He was recently on Your Honor. He was on fucking Empire as a rap figure on Empire and Shameless and the Bratz movies and numerous other pretty major roles, let alone being the son of Tom Hanks. So this whole rap thing he's been on record as saying is like a bit to promote his career. And he also has been rapping since college. But again, and this is true of a lot of rappers, their rap persona is itself an act. Drake is an actor. When he's he just happened to make that role his lifetime role, essentially. Exactly. Is how I see it. Yeah, we're talking bad baby, little pump, Takashi 69. These are instigators. This is the whole point of American rap stars that when you're trying to be a rapper, it's very competitive and crowded and weird and you want to break through. So you're going to troll and you're going to be in your face and you're going to be annoying and you're going to exactly. be cringe. And you don't, Little Pump doesn't ask his parents permission when he's going to do something weird or you know, no rappers <laughs> being like, mom, dad, can I do this? It's just right. this intersection of like fame. He went to Northwestern University, dropped purple and white. He's got just an insane last decade of his life in and out of rehab, trying music time and time again. It's just, it's really funny just looking back on the last decade of our lives. I remember watching those early Chet, he went as Chet Hayes at the time, (laughs) videos, and it was like frat boy rap and like laughing at those who would have thought that in 10 years, We'd, we would link up. <laughs> I know. And I don't, and it's he tried electro pop at one point. He tried to be a singer-songwriter. <clears throat> the man's a creative entity. Like many aging millennials with nothing else to do. Obviously, he's not married. He does have a daughter. But uh, <laughs> a lot of people don't yeah. know he's got a daughter. He tried I just to realized settle that. down with a woman who's now suing him for a million dollars. But it's a you know, this is a this is a bona fide celebrity. And when you're in the public eye like that, whether you're a Britney Spears or Bad Baby, you're gonna take a lot of arrows. Well, <laughs> well, here's here's the elephant in the room, and what most people that don't aren't thinking as critically about it as perhaps us or some writers at the New Yorker or Vanity Fair are, is that they just see it as uh, a privileged <laughs> white kid appropriating black culture. That's that's, I mean, and it's the purest form of right. that. It cracks the conversation open and talks about Lonely Island. It talks about Machine Gun Kelly. It talks about Jack Harlow. It talks about G Easy. These are some of the worst people to ever grace the mic. The three I just to mentioned. To me, G Easy <laughs> is uh, immensely more offensive than Chet Hanks is. I uh, completely agree. And I'd put Jack Harlow in that same category. And Machine Gun Kelly pivoting from hard street rap to pop punk is just a great example that. These people yeah. will appropriate and have no real identity and just do whatever to get attention and sell records. And so he hit us up. He said, here's the track. Here's what we're doing. His team. 
it's like here's what we're doing we popped out in venice <laughs> beach um with no permit yeah talk no a little permit. bit about being in public shooting mm. as opposed to a closed set which is what we usually do with security uh, you know all very controlled yes yeah, you popped yeah. out with a basically huge celebrity of the moment in broad daylight in public with 40s and i'll let you tell it this is why i love chet and this is why i loved x and i love maddox and all the rappers in american rap star is they're willing to do shit like this um shout out ba cinema i convinced them to do the video with us he popped out so then yeah. you know we met uh oh by the way quick aside ba cinema also shot the jack harlow video that has like billion views which That's is right funny. he did what's popping which was like nominated for video of the year at the mtv awards and shit yeah um, and chet name name checks him in the instagram video yeah so i went so he was like i was like put it give, i was like we'll do the video but give us a little bit of days to like put it together and just think about it <laughs> Yeah. he was like nah we gotta do it tomorrow and i was like honestly you're so crazy for that thought that like i'm down like fuck it let's do it tomorrow <laughs> i'm not really doing anything let's do it and um i went out to venice beach around like 1 p.m and just kind of hung out and i could sense that something was about to happen i was like sitting there looking at all the boring average american day on venice thinking about southland tales thinking about all the work that had been shot there and i was like this is going to be a moment right now like when chet pulls up in the impala with these girls twerking like we about to i could just feel it and that's what happened he pulled up and i think it's cool i think it's cool that it's at venice beach because so many like iconic 90s videos were shot there like i'm I'm thinking like lfo and stuff like that yeah lfo and and i will be writing a movie um with chet that will probably reference southland tales starring the rock that takes place at venice beach everyone should go check out southland tales j richard kelly and um so then he popped out and yeah we shot it in public the cops came and they were laughing they were literally like oh we want to see that girl's ass again yeah we just want to see this ass this is tight that's tom hanks son word every and then chet was like we're gonna be drinking he was like throwing 40 bottles which is in the video everyone's like getting drunk partying we had a big ass speaker that our producer was carrying and blasting the song tmz came everyone had their phones out and we shot for about two hours on venice beach which you'll see in the video and then the next day we went to another podcast company's house called notorious shout out notorious shout out them for letting us use the house yeah great company notorious podcast studios and shot chet's vision um which is he we know the references were takashi 69 um that's mainly what we kept talking about <laughs> he was like i want to be like takashi i'm like all right i think it's kind of like that taiga video with all the ass yeah and yeah it's just like then he was like yo yo and you know you you chet's an intense guy he's been on real sets before he's acted opposite brian cranston in your honor and Larry David yeah. and Curb and Empire. Everyone should go check him out on that. He's a he's a real actor. So when you're we show up to set and he's just pounding Casamigos tequila, pounding <laughs> Modelos, getting loose, and smoking um, Marb Lights, <laughs> pounding cigs, getting on Instagram, just being crazy. And when it's go time, it's fucking go time. We filmed thirty performance takes with him. Over the two days, yeah, which is which is which is like triple what we usually do for like 
way uh quote unquote right. bigger videos bigger budget little bigger dirt artists. polo g rod wave little baby we'll probably do like five and then they'll get tired and walk away <laughs> like, we'll get <laughs> yeah. shots. chet no do another one do it which i tweeted huh? this great clip of him i'm like chet how you feeling he's like do a fucking another one and i like that <laughs> like I, it makes me feel fired up and makes it i appreciate that our dp you know he's carrying the 45 pound camera so he's not into doing 30 takes like that but um chet was like i brought the jamaican flag i'm gonna drape it over my shoulders and i was just <laughs> like that is the craziest shit i think i may have ever heard in my life like it, it's it's one of those things that's just so absurd that the the only reaction i think we have is like absolutely <laughs> like hell yes <laughs> of course his journey with patois and the jamaican culture begins at the golden globe or maybe it was the emmys red carpet walking with his family and doing a interview for some reason where he speaks in jamaican patois to the camera goes viral for being lovably tone deaf and offensive and yes. he continued this character i think um no pun intended he wants all the smoke and uh <laughs> fucking yeah trolling has been on record with van lathan podcasts and other interviews where he's like i just love trolling it's like my brand da, da, da. he's the king of doing something offensive and then putting blinders on and continuing to do it right potentially into the ground <laughs> Yeah, and which I appreciate. A guy of his caliber as a team of agents, TV movie agents, music agents, as well as the biggest lawyers in entertainment, all trying to navigate this for him, for his father, for his mother, who's very famous. And um, he was just like, my acting career. I, I think he was his agents were like, you're not going to get another role after your honor now that you have these allegations. And he kind of told me I'm he's on a fuck it mentality now. He's transcended above above bad press, and he's going to be him. And um, so he he grabs the Jamaican flag, drapes it over his shoulders. There's some BTS clips we'll put out of us filming all this insanity. Um, yeah girl's shaking ass he's doing the clips of him getting his head bounced on the booty a now iconic image Icon emblazoned into the american consciousness yeah. when we do these videos me and tyler both feel like we're making iconic art on the set i think we both felt like every frame of this video was going to be highly offensive going to be highly controversial i could just feel it as we were rolling and to yeah. make art like that, I mean, look, I'm from the school of like Harmony Corinne, where he was like kicked out of Hollywood and like people literally hated him. Gaspar Noé, Lars von Trier, these are the Aji Argento, yeah. where we're gonna have JT Leroy on here. These are the Vincent filmmakers Gallo. I like. Vincent Gallo, thank you. <laughs> this, I, yeah, I mean, art at its core is supposed to, in my opinion, start conversations essentially, and a lot of times that goes in parallel with doing things that are semi-offensive or uncouth or whatever right you know I, I, and even if it is a uh potentially insensitive thing who's to say that maybe the conversations that are had in the fallout from it don't push the culture into uh push it forward into a more progressive light or whatever you know like one step back two two steps forward you know he might be you know almost a martyr for that if you want to really twist it hmm. you and know what i'm saying like pete davison on snl they pretty pushed the envelope jerry seinfeld 
Louis C.K., Joe Rogan, a lot of these comedians, Tim Dillon. If you you know, these are actors, Jeremy Piven, Crystalia, a lot of these guys push the envelope and make offensive art and they do it to get a reaction. And um the other thing that happened, you know, the merch, which is like taking it pretty far. The font is offending people. The merch says <laughs> Look, this is uh, so the merch is in uh, old English font and it says uh, the original one said white boy summer, which look, it did look like a white power t-shirt from like Huntington Beach uh, straight out of like American History X. But knowing Chet now that we do, he clearly was just inspired by like an NWA t-shirt or something or like born and raised <laughs> like, or something like the. Fonts. Yeah, yeah, exactly pretty common um <laughs> and he admitted that it could uh, he, that he maybe it was a misstep and uh it could be taken the wrong way right at so. the top of the video you see in the titles i use like the belly tribute to hype williams font if you will and the, that was r.i.p dmx r.i.p.x that was changed from um the old english font because chet was like i'm done with the old english font and i was like what about belly and he was like Bet. i just see the the outrage of the t-shirt looking like a white nationalism thing is it's just people looking for to be offended like it like everyone wants to be on twitter and shit shout out all-purpose branding armin um you know a, a merch tycoon maverick and he doesn't give a fuck he loves controversy and he um yeah. made the line says black queen summer on a swimsuit on some shorts on a hat they got all praise records. They started their own record label. And then the stop hate hoodie, the stop hate hoodie and the stop hate white t-shirt sold out. And a lot of their items are selling out. And in the song, you'll hear him say 40 racks off merch. One day I might go berserk. He's not lying. Yeah. You're doing 40, 50,000 a day with those items, which is a lot of purchases. It's a, it's a lot of people. And it, yep. you know, the reaction, what they know is it's the reaction. That's the message. I mean, so let's talk about we shot it in two days then the next day i actually drove away from la after the second shoot or after the first shoot yeah <laughs> so just like wanting to get out of there they went to a huge party and continued speaking patois on instagram <laughs> and I, they invited me and i was like i'm gonna go like smoke some weed and be away from this and i came back and then i went back to palm desert and the next day i woke up and i was like I have to edit this today or else I'm never going to want to look at it again. And I knew it was going to be viewed by probably everyone in the country. And so I made it super crazy in one day and highly offensive. I could have went the other way. I, you know, I could have look, it's no more crazy yeah. than a Tyga G easy, you know, this is, this is this you're hitting on a, a point too, that I think uh, is a double standard. It's like, that video would not really be that crazy if it was any other artist. Yeah. If it's it wasn't considering... Tom Hanks' son, it would not be crazy. Yeah. I mean, we've done way crazier things with like Shoreline Mafia in strip clubs in Hawaii and stuff. Like, yes. like some like world star uncut borderline porn. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> and and when people get upset, I'm also quick to remind them that Chet is actually far more polite to these ladies than most of the rappers we deal with. I mean, oh my god, yes. <laughs> and was, that's not saying anything bad about other rappers and stuff, but 
that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, there's, you know? a, there's a problem with how we treat our females in the rap community. But Chet, he's a good looking dude. Ladies love him. And he's the he's a gentleman. And he just he's a star. I think his time on Empire and his respect he got through the Empire set and his role there really like fed his personality. And he like thinks he's on Empire still, even though the camera stopped rolling. Right. It's it, with some of these artists that we work with, there's this intangible thing that's just like that man is a star and was like born to be a star it's kind of it's like it's like a conor mcgregor thing it's just like that is a superstar it's almost like a different breed of human they got the it factor i remember the first time we met the migos we kept even in noisy atlanta we were like they got the it factor like chief key yeah it's a real thing yeah charisma jawline abs (laughs) abs <laughs> they got it charm <laughs> and, and knowing when to turn it on when the and, camera is and he can recording. dance and this boy i don't know if his family vacationed in the grill or whatever but he slips into the patois pretty crazy and the song has first of all let's break down the song like the intro right. directly <laughs> references the domestic abuse case the intro which is the press that again is on. just so crazy to do <laughs> that i have enough i uh, like I just don't even want to form an opinion yet about that. He says the line is as soon as you get a bag, these bitches want to take it from you. Yeah. And it's uh, like every PR firm in the history of time would tell someone not to do that. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so you know, he does about what, like uh, he gives a quick eight. Um, we talks and then he slips into the, his patois and I knew people would be like, what the fuck? That's at about the eight sixty to 90 second mark. He's like the white Don Nada and just does his like dance hall, Sean Paul, like a few bars with the Jamaican flag on. And I was just like, this is just like completely crazy. But Hakeem, <laughs> shout out Hakeem. Like, you know, we know a lot of Jamaican men and like they're all, Hakeem is like, he's literally the funniest person I know. Like they love this shit. They love shedding light on Jamaican culture. I think a lot of Jamaicans are offended, but a lot of them who are like in in LA and in America are uh, boosting him on, (laughs) putting him on, (laughs) telling him to keep going. There's a big difference between Instagram and Twitter. It's so funny. And we know this through all our work. Twitter is a place to go and shit on shit and complain. Instagram's a more fluid um, environment. People don't really hate on there. Same with YouTube comments. It doesn't really get you as far. Twitter, there's a lot of hate. Instagram, it's like all love. It's just funny. It, yeah, and YouTube seems to be mostly love too. It's got, funny. So, one, so let's talk about the day it dropped, which is a week after we shot it. Yeah. So I edit it, deliver it the next day, which is Easter Sunday. God bless. You church. know, he, he has risen church. I wake up on Easter. I was like, I might as well send it to them. I wasn't even, you know, I sent it around to the ATS squad. Sent it to them. Sent it to some other label yeah. insiders to get a little label bidding war going. But um. Chet apparently woke up. They went to San Diego and he woke up Sunday morning and watched the video over and over again for two hours. And <laughs> I did the same for the record. Right. I think people were just like, whoa. <laughs> like, and he sent me a video of himself watching it and being like, we're done. No, no notes, no changes. Let's drop. And then I think everyone was kind of nervous to drop it. So we like held it for a week. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know if we can say this. You can, you can cut it out if necessary, but Chet uh, did show it to his parents. <laughs> we know that. Yeah, no, that I, I tweeted that. Um, yeah, they, you know, he showed it to Rita and Tom. I don't, I, I did not hear what the reaction was, but let's, I would love to let's know. role play <laughs> here. Yeah. Like <laughs> what? <laughs> 
Tom. Uh, <laughs> so you're watching it. What he calls him probably. Hey, Dad. Like happy Easter. Like uh, just. Checking in, wishing you and Mama happy Easter. Wanted to put this on your radar. Um, check it out. Let me know what you think. What What do you say right there? I, if you're Tom I, uh, I think Tom probably had a very uh, political response, and I think he probably said something like, "I can't do a good Tom," but he probably said something like, "We are just happy that you are pursuing what you want to do in life." And what parent doesn't want their kid to be happy? That's kind of what he said after the Emmy Patois red carpet, right? Uh Like, of course, he was asked about that. Chet also broke the news that they were COVID positive when they were in Australia. Right, right. And that, you know, so. (laughs) And it's like Tom and Rita, or especially Tom, though, is kind of like America's dad, Uh you know? You gotta and, uh, feel like my friends on the inside who know Tom's reps told me that knowing Tom's reps, they're probably all very concerned about this. Tom is one of the most cherished actors of all time and makes very expensive, high-level art. <laughs> we all know this. I think, yeah, you're. I think it said. I think. I think it says a lot about Tom and Rita as parents to let him do this. <laughs> you so know, sen- it really puts their whole reputation on the line in a lot of ways absolutely and i think they will be probably interviewed and asked about it next time they make a movie which honestly no one's asking for a new tom cruise movie i want or it's not tom hanks i i but i feel like i i honestly i, I wanted to watch that new western it's bad look good I watched it it's bad yeah. okay <laughs> he's, he's lost it it's over for tom and rita i love them both i mean they've done a lot of great work colin as well shout out orange county but i think shout it's out a Mad Men. yeah it's a wrap on them Chet's time but I honestly think when Chet showed them I think the reaction was probably like don't do this much like a Hunter <laughs> Biden I think you know Chet's been in and out of rehab and has had mental health and suicidal thoughts and I think Tom was probably like what people did with Kanye you need to seek help you need to yeah. bipolar you need to get medication you need to seek therapy I think that's probably what happened and much like Kanye, which every young man looks up to in one way or another. <laughs> Chet was like, My music is my therapy, Dad. <laughs> I do not think Tom was telling him it was okay. I just, something tells me. Right by Tom, drop the video. He, so okay. the way the squad works is during the day, we're doing burpees, we're doing sit ups, we're eating peanut butter, we're getting in shape, working on ourselves. <laughs> When nightfall hits, there's a lot of 8% Celsius, there's a lot of Modellos, <laughs> and that's when the creative decisions are made. So, <laughs> If that tells you anything. So Chet <laughs> pulled up on the all-purpose branding HQ, and they kind of had a team huddle, and they were like, it's drop day. He kind of teased on Instagram the snippet, which I woke up and it was on CNN, which was interesting. I woke yeah. up to CNN <laughs> tweeting it from their main account. And calling it risque. And, and a lot of other publications. Yeah, Daily but CNN Mail. is like, what, the biggest news organization in the country <laughs> besides Fox News, who didn't touch it. But they yeah. uh, CNN tweeted it. <laughs> and just the snippet, which did not show a lot of stuff. It just showed his head on the butt. And people are just like, he said, should I drop Tuesday or should I drop on New Music Friday, which is when Slime Life 2 is scheduled, Trippy Ready and Dior, whatever. Friday is when people usually drop. But he felt like the reaction was so strong that he went ahead and had the team huddle 
and then they were blowing me up they're like we got change. We, we put a little merch thing in the end we put all praise records by the way there was a label bidding war going on for the single i won't name names but shout out very powerful record executives and uh we were developing the viral chat walk tiktok campaign which is rolling out right now Tuesday yeah, comes. Justin, Justin actually coined the term the Chet Walk. I did, I and I gotta come clean on the record here. He started Crip Walking on my close friends, and Nathan Williams, yeah. composer of American Rap Star and lead singer of the iconic punk band Waves, DM'd me and said, "Oh, the Chet Walk, I fuck with it." And I was, you know, <laughs> I was drinking on set a little. So next time he started doing that i was like this is a chet walk this is a chet walk and everyone's so dumb in the crew and everyone's so drunk all the time everyone's like this is a chet walk this is what we do for tiktok it was me who was, was like it's a chet walk yeah, yeah. <laughs> nathan williams i love you nathan come on the podcast yes please tuesday comes around <laughs> we drop at what 9 p.m pacific so midnight Barstool yeah. immediately loses their mind. Everyone at Barstool starts <laughs> posting it. Of course. Barstool main account says, alert the Grammys. Barstool's <laughs> main account rips the video, takes the All the Smoke logo out, and then re-uploads. Oh my God. That was crazy. And then re-uploads. That's so, that's so something they would fucking do. Like, what and probably puts that? their logo in the corner. <laughs> they, yeah. I like, you know, any other day we'd issue a takedown notice, but they, you know, it's 5,000 retweets, whatever super viral barstool you know me and tyler are fans of barstool so it means a lot <laughs> but um barstool you know dave portnoy you know he had these sex tapes come out he's running huge operation not unsimilar to vice and he handles it a little different than vice did but yeah he, um video comes out immediately shadow banned what happens then tyler tell it's us what happened. shadow band you if you search for it it's like impossible to find unless you go the direct link from chet's instagram <laughs> how would you describe the reaction what happened after um I, it's the, so i really didn't know what was gonna happen i was kind of like anything is possible here and i was kind of surprised by how negative the response was because I think maybe when he first did the Instagram video, people were like, oh, white boy summer, haha, I get it. It's not like a racial thing. It's just like, it's almost kind of disparaging towards like frat bros in a way, you know? Mm. It's like white girl drunk or something. You've heard that term. And it's and also like, oh, go ahead. I kind of thought that it would be a little more positive in the same way if it's like, this is just so funny. This is Tom Hanks's son. Ha ha. Let's move on. But the the response was pretty like vitrolic, if you will. <laughs> like I can't think of it's place things off the top of my head, but just mm. random people being like, you know, we're in like the days of revelation. <laughs> you know? We're in the industry, the music industry, right? And these artists want to manufacture a moment. They, everyone wants to get their viral moment, to get their views, to get their record pumped. It's kind of what people do in music. And to get people's attention in the cacophony of noise and attention span is very difficult. So I honestly thought it would drop and the timing was going to be so tone deaf with what was going on with police brutality and the George Floyd case that it was going to be ignored, universally hated. I, I knew it would be universally hated, ignored, 
and then people would move on but it struck such a tone and the domestic abuse case they did a press conference and filed the papers hours before the video dropped to align right. with his drop <laughs> which is amazing but so the press you know and then they did a big press um i think harvey levine from tmz has um personal beef with tom hanks and is like hell-bent on taking chet down and you could tell a lot of the stories were planted by tmz and harvey and putting this important narrative of this poor woman that chet is involved with out there and that was the story and that was the narrative and um the narrative yeah the narrative then the headline that most people ran with was like chet hanks drops incredibly tone deaf video amidst domestic abuse allegations yeah, essentially million dollar lawsuit which you know he's counter suing the lawyers have given their statement but um it was vitriolic and it was i think certifiably viral i i think was it viral i guess yeah well here's the other thing um and i think it's why the response was a little bit more negative is on top of it just being fucking insane um is that he had the white boy summer instagram video which was super viral we all are laughing and sending it to each other and stuff and then there was the clip dropped of the video and that was the first taste anyone got so like everyone like was retweeting that that was its own moment and then by the time the actual video dropped, it's like, this is its third thing. I think a lot of people were maybe mentally a little bit tired of all of this. So it maybe seemed a little bit um, underhanded and like kind of trying to like capitalize a little bit too much yeah. on all of this. You I know, myself, it was a lot for people to handle in like two weeks. I think both me and you were both mentally tired of it, but it's so interesting how human psychology works because there's really not a lot else going on in music that's interesting at the moment. <laughs> not to be that guy, but not true. There was it's like true. not a lot else to really discuss. I mean, Megan dropped movie, Polo G dropped rap star, Thugger drops Slime Life 2. We were over Rod being number one, so. Yeah, know. it was a little moment of like, just silence for a minute, and then this bombshell kind of coming in. Yeah, and I think it, because how similar in style it was to YG and G Easy, I think people it really worked like a Lonely Islands SNL skit where people were like, "Damn." <laughs> like what the fuck what the actual fuck it really is a lonely island track just in real life right <laughs> if it was an snl thing saying white boy summer which a lot of people think it'll be brought up on snl i and dizamira and the late night shows none of them have touched it yet but mm -hmm. I, if it had it would have probably not gotten hate question mark i don't really know it's all about it's just be it's just, yeah it's all about context because it would have been like you know oh chud is kind of in on the joke now yeah. and wouldn't it wouldn't have been as funny and it would have been not as offensive and honestly not as important then and important in ways that i uh don't fully understand yet so people are um understandably very upset about it uh i love vanity fair and they ran a big long article about it using our stills as a thumbnail stills that mm -hmm. we shot ourselves and it, you know that puts us on any Leibowitz level and 
New Yorker ran Let's away. Go. You know, <laughs> I love Vanity Fair, so shout out them for doing that. And um, obviously, CNN, Guardian, Daily Mail, Barstool posted it on the main Instagram. One Minute Man, mm-hmm. a lot of people sent me that. Shade Room, people like Kathy Griffin. And then what? Well, here's, tell, tell, yeah. tell about that. Well, here's the thing that I was going to bring up earlier is that Richard Spencer tweeted it with the caption. Uh, should I pull it up or do you know it off top? I know what he said. And Richard Spencer, we've profiled um, in our vice work as, you know, one of the most detestable humans of all time. A self-proclaimed white nationalist, neo-Nazi. He famously got punched in the face on camera. He should really probably be in jail right now in federal prison in solitary, getting the fuck beat out of him every living day. Just a detestable human being. But he heard about White Boy Summer from the early video and thought this was going to be the rallying cry for white nationalists. And he tweeted (laughs) the link to the YouTube video and said, I just, I knew this is what White Boy Summer was going to be this isn't for us. Like we do not co-sign this. <laughs> yeah. This is like an all inclusive, like pro black woman anthem. This is not what we thought it was like, fuck him. <laughs> and what better co-sign than Richard Spencer hating your work than that. <laughs> that was a crazy thing to happen. That like, was my favorite piece of promo that we got is him hating it. And listeners, which was awesome. it's scary to be out here, like taking these arrows like this, like, We've done a lot of edgy work in the past. This is, you know, I uh, seeing shit like this isn't easy, but it it's it is what we do. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, all all in all, so you know, it does the rounds on Vanity Fair. Now, Chet is addicted. To viral moments this is what happened with takashi this is what happened with little pump smoke perp it, it's what american rap star is kind of about you get this endorphin hit a lot of young teenagers are like this you get this endorphin hit of getting all this attention and you want more of it you want it every day you want to create a viral moment every moment you need it you need it uh, i'm the best uh it's a mental health condition i mean kanye when he goes on these twitter rants is that he's, he's like i'm the truth it, uh. it's 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 the it's a symptom of social media and it's why the generation coming up is going to have to have a day of reckoning about all of this Yeah, because everyone is mentally ill. Can you imagine having social media in middle school? I mean, my God. And I think people are having burnout where they don't need to go viral as much, but you see with like TikTok culture and how much people are posting and sharing every day, all day, myself included. It's, what it's it not is healthy. Now. It's not. But so now Chet yeah. wants to go viral every day. And um, you heard it here first on Smoke and Mirrors. There probably will be another Chet Hanks, all the smoke music video coming out soon. And what he's done now, maybe my fault because I sent him some of the articles that came out, but he's um, read the articles, which, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah. This is, Initially, we Trump thought route. that. We really thought that he was not reading any of the press because how could you continue to act this way when, if you read any of it? Right. When you're but apparently Tom he Hanks is reading son. it. Yeah. Like but he, apparently he is reading it. You're Tom Hanks' son. Like, you don't need to do this. Like, you need to go. Like, your honor was good. He was g- really good in your honor. Everyone listening should go watch him in your honor. Like, you need to go do an indie movie, like, written by us and, like, go be like a 
Jaden, I guess, or what's another celebrity son like De Niro's son is acting and stuff, or Gabe Day or Colin. Yeah. But no, he has um, read the articles <laughs> and now he's doubled down on his patois and come after New Yorker journalist Nomi Fry personally. <laughs> and then this happened today. And we don't co sign this kind of activity, but he kind of came for her image. And I mean, maybe you can drop the audio in. But he, yeah, he, he says. Go ahead. Hey, yo, I got some funny shit to show you guys. Okay. So the New Yorker, Vanity Fair, they wrote shitty articles about me saying that like white boy summer is unacceptable. I want to show you the people that write these articles. Okay. So on the next slide, I'm going to show you the headline and then I'm going to show you the the woman who wrote the article about me, her name is Naomi Fry. You go take a look at her and then let me know who do you think is more tapped into the culture, me or her? Let me know. He says essentially, you know, she's a uh, white woman who works for the New Yorker who has wrote a critical article about all of this. And she, by most common standards, is not like the most attractive woman, I guess you would say. Um, and he basically put her on blast and said, who is more tapped in, me or this woman? And then posted photos of her in the slideshow Instagram. And she has since, and I, you know, we're friends with a lot of people. I don't know Nomi personally, but I'm, we're very good friends with some of her friends. Um, and every, look, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I kind of agree that she isn't, it's not really her place to say if it's offensive or not. She, he kind of put her on blast and trolled her and she's since gone private. And I feel pretty bad for her. Here's what you do. So. You're a journalist. It's very simple. You reach out to him for the interview and comment. You right. can't just speculate on everything in a huge reputable publication, like the New York times, the New Yorker vanity. And she, and just she was off. also posting like, other things on her Instagram kind of making fun of him, <laughs> which I t it's a, it's easy to do. <laughs> and it's funny. Chet but... is very accessible. If you want to know what this is all about and you want to write an article, you reach out to his reps or him and you ask him, what is this all about? And here's what his answer will be because we've talked about it with him. I'm an actor. This is a bit. I'm going viral because I'm an actor and this is what I'm going to do. And it's nothing more, nothing less. My dad's okay with it. My mom's okay with it. This is what it is. And that's the article. And that's what's going to happen. And he can even speak on the abuse allegations too. It's um, that, in my opinion, is what journalism is. And, and that's why we linked with him. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of journalism in its but, own way. But also, this is journalism in the age of social media. Like, journalists get caught up in it too. Like, she posted a screenshot of him saying, you know, New Yorker can suck my balls or something. And like, yeah, that's funny to repost and like laugh about. But like, if you're going to do that, you got to handle the fallout or be prepared for it at least. You got to be ready. I mean, he's taking a Trump playbook right now and just going after the press directly. And shout out Nomi. Which is pretty I mean, baller. <laughs> I, I <laughs> so. like her work. I think um, she's smart. She's good. You hate to see that. You know, I support a free press, <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, Chet, you know, I think people misjudged him. People thought they were going to cancel him and shut him up and uh, he doubled down. <laughs> yep. 
So that's where we are today on Friday, the 16th of April. Yeah, and all our 2021 yeah. all our friends have reached out and be like bro this has got to stop it's over <laughs> and um much like nfts i don't know if it'll go away i mean last podcast we did 10 15 on nfts and listeners know that you know now it's just everything is getting nft to new york times to paris hilton to pele dropped one today uh Edward really <laughs> Yeah, <sighs> this white boy summer shit is a lot like NFTs. It's not going to go away. I have a feeling, unless <laughs> I'm wrong, which is what the art is. I so this is the most interesting part to me, and what's so sad about America? It's like the reaction, man. Like mm-hmm. people, Vanity Fair said it was Song of the Summer. Barstool went on for days and multiple pieces saying it was Song of the Summer. People like love this kind of content at the or a certain type of frat boy, dumbass white boy like loves this kind of content. And that's like very yeah. disturbing. Well, weird. <laughs> look, uh, everyone has their own music taste, but to me, Song Loki slaps. It slaps, bro. He's got a lot of rap <laughs> skill from Empire and from 10 years of doing it. He sent us more songs that are pretty good. And um, and from studying theater for his entire life. Yes. It lends itself well to this kind of art. There's an interview with him where he's like, Tom said, like, if you want to be an actor, you got to take it seriously. Like, And that Patois shit's crazy. Like, he's good at it. <laughs> he's got these people around him, like an award-winning pimp who's in the... A thing that's where he gets his church from and his pimp attitude and oh yeah Hakeem and these jamaican people around him and it's he he's taking it all in and becoming like this voltron of the, <laughs> the culture <sighs> yeah well I, I don't know where this is gonna go or where this is gonna where the chips are gonna lie at the end of the day but to me making something that people are talking about is a good thing. Yeah. I don't know. What where do we go from here? I mean, we were posted on INCL twice now. <laughs> we uh I really only we make went number one stuff. on Billboard. <laughs> I only really make stuff at this point for to impress each other, you and Albert. Yeah. Every I think and our friends. Emily Ratajkowski saw the video. I, th- I think like everyone watched the video and was like, "This is disgusting." And like, oh. our movie hasn't even come out yet, Tyler. Like, once our movie comes and out, <laughs> our movie is really to give a little insight. It's really all about these manufactured viral moments and like doing things with reckless abandon and not worrying about tomorrow. You know. And so for me, this is like. The prequel to that like i've even now thought about putting chet in american rap star much like the financial times has done this documentary about a guy trying to make it in the music biz like what a funny i think that arc. chet deserves his own documentary and i think that we should make that next kind of it, it, it could, it's kind of just like i'm still here just the joaquin phoenix movie where he adopted a persona of a rapper and like faked it for like six months but this would be the real version of that. Yeah. I mean, look, now that's been broached. He is so addicted to going viral now that um, an I'm still here style Joaquin, where let's not forget that Joaquin drops the N-word in that documentary many times and does yeah. pain and orders strippers and, and gets drunk on late night and completely ruins himself only to come back to win the Oscar for Joker 
and it's all real he's meth it's method acting it's like he adopted that character and did all of those things but then you come out later and say oh it was all a joke and now it's like hailed as one of the best in to me uh documentaries or movies kind of ever yeah it's like <laughs> and, on uh, record that casey but it's Joaquin like he were... <laughs> he said the n-word and did coke off like strippers buttholes and stuff it's like it's not like that wasn't real even though he was playing a character so like i don't know that's that's why it's so great but it's funny that he came back and won the oscar and is like the top five actor of the generation probably you know? top three right now yeah like he and him and casey you know they had to settle for a lot of money because they were sexually assaulting crew members on that shoot and just being completely in character yeah but it's like is that okay with them you're, you're just in character for the movie so like not then that's fine it's not and it's like actually assaulting anyone on set and shit. no and he didn't drop that word in the song there's a lot of articles and speculation that he did sounds like it but he says let me see you make it twerk <laughs> yeah i'm disgusted so. with ourselves but we're gonna play the song now <laughs> on the smoke and mirrors that like. all right i think i i we did our best to kind of uh say what we think <laughs> so drop that shit i swear to god man as soon as you get a bag these bitches want to take it from me. take it from me. yeah Huh. Fuck it, turn it up, the beat in my headphones Just a little bit, yeah, just a little bit, yeah uh, White boy summer I met a bad little shorty on the powder dance Getting to the bag like it was her only chance Rich bitch, known over and up them bands Said fuck it, then she went and made her only fans uh, Hot boy, white boy summer Got your favorite Instagram bitch, DM in her number Woo. Hit the strip club of Mike Thunder Woo. She let me beat it, I'm the white boy wonder uh, Bad gal, white dandada Rude boy, it's a white boy summer uh, Bad gal, white dandada Rude boy, it's a white boy summer Tatiana's all out by the cabana Rolling marijuana and they all from Guyana Yeah, Russian girl named Sevlana Another from the islands, yeah, she looks like Rihanna Yeah, white girls love Madonna Girls wanna have fun, you could do it if you wanna but shout out to my LA chicks on some LA shit. Eating sushi at Katana on the Sunset Strip. You know the boy got nice, cause I'm the one with the drip. West sign won't slip when I come through. Bullseye won't miss, always hit my target. Made a strip off rip. I don't do chases, I just wanna hit. I got blue faces in my money clip. Best believe. And that shit's all from TV. I ain't even a crip, but they wanna see. C H E T, yeah, bitch. That's me. Put respect on my name. Next time you see me at this level of fame, I'm just working my way up the motherfucker. Fucking ladder bitches all in the day. Yeah, 40 racks off merch. First day, bitch, you might go berserk. Yeah, I might make a squirt. Yeah, let me see a nigga twerk. Yeah, we got it, boys. We just gotta get the outro. Boom, we got it. Actually, fuck it. We got it. Yeah. White boy summer. Yeah. Sixteen. Sucker dunking and dummy dodging all day. You know what I'm saying? Real sixteen. That's on P. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. And don't, don't, don't tune out because we're about to have one of the most prolific artists, filmmakers, um, writers of all time, JT Leroy, aka Laura Albert, on the podcast to discuss cancel culture, to discuss David Milch, to discuss trans rights issues, to discuss eating disorders, to discuss 
everything in her life. She wrote on Gus Van Sant's Elephant. She did Heart is Deceitful Above All Things. Sarah reissued as audiobooks. She told me not to do Chet. Um, Laura Albert on Smoke and Mirrors. Tyler Benz. Anything else we should discuss? Uh, I think that's it. We got a lot more in, coming up that we can't discuss, but uh, we'll try to do these podcasts a little more frequently. Now that we've so, had yeah. our dream guest, who is who is next? What is like a dream thing for you to do right now? Um, I would love to get a UFC fighter on, honestly. <laughs> you um, said that last time. <laughs> oh, did I? Okay, cut that out. Uh, let me think of who would be good, actually. <laughs> yeah, we've kind of done it. We just got to get Ben Ask. I mean, Chet, uh, he, he's thinking about coming on himself. <laughs> okay. But maybe not. Who else? I mean, um, we're going to have some Illuminati ass people on. I want to yeah, get maybe, maybe like Harmony Corinne or something. I don't know. That would be cool. Vincent, Vincent Gallo. Vincent Gallo would be good. I mean, like, who fucking cares anymore? Like, who's, who's Rogan having on? We really want to hear about like Dogecoin and shit. Like, come on. Yeah, no. <laughs> Let's leave these people with a last tip on how to get rich. Like my next low volume DeFi altcoin picks are Zilliquay, already up twenty percent today on my investment two days ago. Telcoin nice. to the Moonski, still early on Cardano. Chainlink already went the Moonski. Don't forget, ATS coin is available. ATS coin was hacked, and now it's back, baby. <laughs> and now we back. So we back. If you're into crypto? Hit us up. I'll send you free ATS coin. Yeah before yep. the feds take away our internet completely for doing the most <laughs> offensive art possible. <laughs> All right. Everyone stay healthy. Drink Corona lights only. No hard, no 8% baby. Celsius. Episode three in the can. How you feeling about the podcast? Great. Fantastic. Black tight dress, black lips on the bed with a black sex, fifth back, magpie wish. Sits with a Jesus chain, singing Jesus, Mary Jane. Pick my words, paint my brain, butterflies, Mr. Vane. Let it drip down, summer rain, clean my face up, let your tears drown. Feel no pain, eat your brain up, you think you're seeing hell, but you don't know what hell's like. Seven signs, seven members in the woods like Zelda. Run around, strip, glue stick on my shoulder. Money grows slow, die young when I'm older. Cash folder on the beach strip county rolls roll over rolls roll soda pour it down in my soda cash same color as yoda hanging out the window chasing bats like the joker play you like poker makes us hold never know when it's over when it's over black tight dress black lips on the bed with a black sex fifth back magpie wish sits with a jesus chain singing jesus mary chain pick my words paint my brain butterflies mr vane let it drip down summer rain clean my face up let your tears drown feel no pain eat your brain up you think you're seeing hell but you don't know what hell's like seven signs seven members in the woods like Zelda run around strip glue stick on my shoulder money grows slow die young when i'm older cash folder on the beach strip county rolls roll over rolls roll soda pour it down in my soda cash same color as yoda hanging out the window chasing bats like the joker play you like poker makes us whole never know when it's over when it's over. JP Leroy became a literary sensation with the publication of his debut novel Sarah in the year 2000 and his story collection The Heart is Deceitful Above All Things the following year. 
Notoriously shy, JT shielded his identity from public appearances, wearing an androgynous Warhol-like disguise of wigs and sunglasses. But the authentic voice in his writing, the raw yet poetic approach to such difficult themes as sexual abuse and exploitation, homosexuality and gender variance, won him rave reviews and gathered an international following. JT's admirers included the elites of Hollywood and the royalty of rock. Among them, Gus Van Sant, Madonna, Carrie Fisher, Bono, and Lou Reed. Shirley Manson of Garbage even wrote a song about JT called Cherry Lips, and The Heart is Deceitful Above All Things was adapted into a film in 2004. But in 2006, a series of newspaper articles revealed that JT Leroy did not exist. The androgynous young man appearing in public was actually the sister-in-law of the true author, Laura Albert, who had been presenting herself as JT's assistant, Speedy. With the reveal of Laura's authorship, there were former admirers of JT who turned against Laura and the books, believing that they had been duped, even though the books were marketed as fiction. But Laura always insisted that JT was an avatar, a distinctive voice that spoke through her. Her side of the story was mostly ignored by a hostile press until the 2016 release of Jeff Fierzeg's documentary, Author, The JT Leroy Story. In the film, Laura was given a chance to speak for herself. Now a new life was launched for the JT Leroy books. They've been reissued by HarperCollins, and audiobooks of both Sarah and The Hardest Deceitful Above All Things have now been released. Laura Albert joins us today. She also wrote the original script for Gus Van Sant's Elephant and was a writer on the HBO series Deadwood. Today she writes for numerous platforms, including Medium, The Forward, Content Mode, and Man About Town. An editor for Diane Pernet's A Shaded View of Fashion, she is also a board member of the Independent Living Resource Center San Francisco, which works to ensure that people with disabilities are full social and economic partners, both within their families and in a fully accessible community. Laura is currently completing her first nonfiction book, which I'm very excited about. It's about her own life and the emergence of JT Leroy. You can learn more about Laura at her website, www.lauraalbert.org. Let's call her up. Hey, Laura, how are you? I am. I am groovy. <laughs> it's I'm so groovy. nice. How are you? Find, I'm doing good. I'm out in California in the heat and the dry here at the end of the pandemic. We uh, were just discussing how we're both finally vaccinated and getting back to life slowly and surely. How? Well, my life isn't isn't really that different now. I'm vaccinated and I'm um. I'm over 20 days out from the second vaccine, but the truth is my world was pretty small. Most writers I know, it's it's like that. How has this whole coronavirus pandemic been like for you? What has the experience been like? I, it's funny. I was just talking to a friend remembering about what it was like, um, like last March and April and how really terrifying it was. And it's very easy to just kind of wipe that out of your mind because it was so terrifying. And um, everyone I know knows someone who died. Um, It's just too easy to let go of that and get excited about stupid things like, um, well, they're not stupid. They're not stupid at all, but, um, but to lose sight of the trauma that was inflicted and could have been avoided and also to rush into embracing behaviors like eating inside restaurants when it's not necessary and is actually dangerous. 
Right. Especially I, for people who are not vaccinated. I completely agree. It's hard to like get out there and celebrate after we've lost so many people and been through all this together. It feels bittersweet, certainly. But yeah. I'm glad you did all right. Where where are you right now? Where are you living and everything? I'm in San Francisco. I'm I'm still here in San Francisco and um it's I'm lucky in the sense that I can do my work. Uh it it's hard actually it's been very hard because there was so much going on from the election everything felt like an existential threat and I have a very hard time not wanting to jump in and check the news and send a tweet and I did I was involved politically I got involved in uh, the Georgia project when it uh, when we were having the runoff uh, and we produced some great videos with the Georgia project uh, some actors I know uh, made some videos for the LGBTQ community there was um, a young black actress who had turned was turning 18 and uh, with Darnell Martin, who was the first studio writer director and a friend of mine from when I was in my twenties, and actually is one of the narrators on my audiobook, um, made a video encouraging reaching out to other young voters who were turning eighteen in time to vote, and that felt really good to not just be reading but to be participating, and joining different groups to find out what are effective ways to be political. And that's really what I allow myself as a distraction from doing my work, which is completing my next book. So <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. I think every little effort counted in Georgia this time around every, every little push we could do and what a historic win it was to finally turn it blue like that. That was great. But now we have to be aware of HR1 and Vote Save America, but that's a whole other, um, <clears throat> the voter restricting, the Voter Restriction Act, that's uh, all those, uh, all the voter restriction <laughs> uh, laws that have been passed by Republicans in all the various states need to be overturned. And that's why you hear people talking about HR1 and what's going on with Cinema and Mansion and just check out Vote Save America and you can find out more and Google HR1 because if we don't over, if, if this doesn't pass through uh, Biden's, Biden's capacity to be able to overrule all these intense racist voter restriction uh, acts, rules, laws that have been placed on the book, gerrymandering that have that has gone on. We will never see another Democrat or progressive because they are not the same. Um, elected in a very long time. Right. Listen up, young people, and please visit that website. She just mentioned that it's extremely important. That's that's amazing that you're involved with that. I had a, I had an idea, but the extent of your involvement, I did not fully know. I personally love John Ossoff just because of his connection to documentary film as well and investigative journalism and all of that. He was a young documentarian in his 20s, and that's 
pretty much how we met for the first time too when you rolled out your documentary um author which is an incredible film and now as you just said you're working on a new book that is amazing congratulations do you want to speak a little bit on that new book well you know it, it goes back to also vice and your vice days and um danny goodbye who is now he's like the head of vice films he is yeah a maverick he, film producer and studio head of vice studios yeah he's wonderful he's one that he's got he's got such a, a wry um how would you describe his sense of humor kind of very ironic very kind of i just love his sense of humor and um he he will he's the kind to just wear a sweater and if you don't know him it's like is that supposed to be funny and it's just like you know you'd get a shrug kind of thing and it's like a duh yeah. <laughs> um it he's uh he really he was the voice of calm during everything uh when vice came in to help make author the jt Leroy film and he connected me to um, my agent, which is Bill Clegg. At that point, I had been so traumatized by everything that had happened. Basically, the narrative about me was controlled by um, really to, to as as Bell Hooks would would say it was just basically um uh it it <laughs> it just it just was like imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy you know? yeah. it, it's just basically i was i wrote fiction and i published this fiction and i used an avatar right now that's that's what social media is right that's okay. all social media is but i was ahead of my time and the when it was when i was outed in the mainstream media it was um men who were very much ensconced in um their patriarchy which is basically uh, structures of power and that is controlled by white males and they attributed motives to me that th that were their own so in other words capitalist motives so when you look at something that happens you can look at it and say it's like what lens do you what lens do you see it through now we know we can look at anything in history and it depends who's looking at it and what their value system is right and if suppose you grew up in the smog of racism you can see it through a di very different lens so if you are looking at it through a trauma informed approach to truth seeking you might have a very different way of understanding what i did they only could ascribe to me capitalistic motives. I I had no way of being heard. And as Jeff Fierzig, the director of author the JT Leroy story said, there was so much written about me, so much written about JT Leroy, but one voice was missing and that was mine. Very few people thought to ask me, to go to me and say, well, what is this about? And very often when they would, they were so entrenched in 
their own dogma that they had no way to even hear me. So this was the first time that I was asked and allowed to speak, which was actually very revolutionary. Um, and the idea was to get me back writing because it, 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 I'd been so silenced and to have that kind of, not only are we going to lift this crucible of, um, you are outcast, you are demonized off my neck, but also to connect me with an agent, which was an avenue of hope, which was a rock, was a hand up. Uh, I can't ever express what that meant. I mean, it, it enabled my books to come out again with my name on them. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it, it quite powerful. I, I have, um, so much gratitude. Big shout out, Danny. That is incredible. And that is the power of author. I can't believe, you know, it took that long to get your side of the story out after everything you went through. And, and so is this new one autobiographical in that sense? Are you summarizing some of what had happened during that time until now? Or is it secret for now? We should wait to find well, out. Well, the problem is I'm not summarizing. I've, mm-hmm. I've basically been taking people through um, the past of how it what happened because so much of it was I and you go through I went through something and I turned it into this kind of upside down world that's what happens in uh, so many writers I know they take trauma they take their experiences it doesn't necessarily have to be trauma but they turn it into the upside down dream state and it comes out in their fiction some people say you know oh nothing i write is from anything in my life but uh that's often not not true and even directors are very attracted to work that somehow uh resonates with their own experience you'll see them telling the same kinds of stories again and again um I wasn't interested in telling the JT stuff because to me, I needed to go back and talk about what had happened and uh, how I got to, how JT came about, which was a very organic. um, uh, I I came by my, um, my, uh, destroying uh, fiction as we know it very organically. Right. And young, young fiction writers today would love to have that kind of mindset that you had back then to create that world. I think a lot of them try. And there's so few young writers, nonfiction and fiction anyway. I've noticed more young people veer towards nonfiction and kind of gimmickly, gimmicky titles. It's kind of harder to break into publishing these days. And obviously tons of self-publishing has exploded and all sorts of ideas, but the main medium is 140 characters online or expressing yourself through social media and young fiction writers should really go back to all your work and understand the world you created. And also after author, you know, it was that weird moment, I think for everyone, when the feature film JT Leroy came out with Kristen Stewart and Laura Dern, which really skewered the narrative and and made some must have made you feel extremely uncomfortable to my understanding writer was at that point you knew enough about it coming out and you were fine with it. 
Well, I, I knew about it. The script had been linked to me. Um, it actually, it, you know, came out, I guess, a couple of years later after the documentary, of course, people wanted to make a movie, which is the way things went. Um, we knew with Jeff Fierzig that it, I mean, that that's documentary could have been a series. There was so much he had to cut and there's so much footage that he has and things they filmed. I mean, like the whole phone sex stuff, you know, right. <laughs> we, they filmed all the stuff and it's, it's pretty awesome. I mean, there's so much that he could have really gotten into, but I, I knew when people wanted to try and squeeze it into a movie and would come to me and say, ah, we're going to make you a star. We're going to make a movie. It's just like, I knew there's no way to <clears throat> turn this into a, um, even 120 type of Jeff had a author at 90 minutes and that was still couldn't really clocking in there. I just couldn't capture what was needed. And I mean, right now we're seeing um, record numbers of children that don't have parents um, in the United States. I mean, since I guess uh, the depression and, kids who are they can't even process at the border um they're talking about finding homes and setting up group homes i'm a product of foster care and i've experienced what works and what doesn't work i'm actually my directive was given to me by my uh, house mother stella okalue who was a ibu tribe nigerian and she told me laura your job is to write is to tell our story and um, actually there's, there's a YouTube video where she was at the screening where we opened it at BAM author to JT Leroy and she was there and, um, this, the movie had brought her there and she's speaking about being my mother in the group home. Um, and she made it very clear. She knew I could write. She, it was a special program that enabled us to go to school and she said, it's like, this was my directive. I had to tell. And um, I, I feel like it's more pertinent than ever with what do you do with these children who do not have parents and what works and what doesn't work. Wow. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Is there a program now? That's just amazing. In many ways writing after that advice she gave you gave you a path a direction hope something to live for is there a program like that now for these young kids but what are they being told to do what direction are they being told to go in well i i was really lucky um i was in foster care and it was run by the jewish child care agency and they started a program that was an experiment because what happens usually is um you take kids that are 18 years old and then when you hit 18 you just good luck you know here's a little bit of money and that does not end well they have rediscovered these statistics and now i think in some um states like california i think and in um, parts of portland they have recognized that this doesn't work so they allow kids to uh, remain in care until they're 23 or 24 because if you've spent a huge part of your life dealing with trauma, in some ways you're very advanced, but in other ways 
what we know about the brain and trauma, especially complex PTSD, you are um, kind of frozen in a state of um, uh, dealing with that trauma. So it helps to be able to have that extra time to learn how to function. Just because you hit a certain age doesn't mean you have those skills. So um, unfortunately for me back then, they weren't really addressing PTSD. You have to remember that that didn't even enter the DSM, which is the um, diagnostic uh, book that is used to treat, um, uh, I, I don't know if it's, I guess it's psychiatric issues, um, until 1983, 84, which was when I entered into the foster care. So basically, it was like three hots and a cot. And a cot. Let's give you structure. We just give you structure, and you know we feed you and clothe you, and everything's going to be all right. That actually doesn't work because when you we know that when you have trauma, if you don't deal with it, it comes out anyway. Um, but going back to what the Laura Dern movie. Um, and the Kristen, the Kristen Stewart, Laura Dern, I, I knew it was coming. I wasn't interested in that kind of movie. I was interested in telling this other story that I thought would be more of service and was more honest. Um, I knew she had made this deal and that this was coming. I had read the script and it was very clear to me that it was terrible. Um, everyone I know who read it just couldn't believe it. And uh, it has no motive. Like nobody has any motive. I also think that it's also, you know, you know, people play that game like, okay, if anyone can play you in a movie, who would play you? So to have Laura Dern play me and Kristen Stewart play my creation, I mean, you know, in the game of like our culture, that that plays out pretty good, right, Justin? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean. They tried. They tried. They tried. I don't think Justin Kelly really knew the full scope of what he was doing. And I'm. Were you in Savannah friendly at that point? No. Or no? Yeah, you guys no. weren't. And she published her memoir just without consulting you at all, just kind of getting well, it out. No, I, I, I read it. She had it ghosted, and you know, uh, I I read it, and it there was a lot that. She, there were things that she didn't remember and was kind of like winging it. The problem was that you have to remember that people said, you know, strike while the iron's hot. This was in 05, 06. And we, you have to remember that the story cycle too, would, it wasn't like today where it moves so quickly. Here you have an insurrection, an attempt to overflip, overthrow a government and people you know, since January 6th, wait, what? You know, right. <laughs> the cycle moves on, right? And, you know, where Mr. Potato Head has, uh, I won't say trumped, but, you know, uh, moved, surpassed that, right? This dominated the news cycle for like a year. Right. <laughs> it was on the cover of the paper. What was it that a writer had written fiction and used and had her sister-in-law play the writer? Okay, that that's basically the fucking story, right? So the fact that that was worldwide news for a year, over a year, is just shows you how innocent we were. So um, 
you obviously had a lot of people coming and saying, you got to tell your story. And I had an agent say to me, you know, strike while the iron's hot. No one's going to care about you in seven months. And I said, well, nobody cared about me seven months ago because, again, I played the assistant. Nobody knew that it was me. Right. Very well. More and more people knew, actually. Yeah, there was towards the end, actually, so many people knew I was just daring uh, to be busted. At that point, I was ready to come out. I just wasn't being honest about it to myself. But like the whole set of Deadwood knew. OK, on, on HBO, like um, the 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 agent um, at um, Untitled, he knew. Um, Billy Corgan, famously from the movie, he knew. I mean, it it had gotten to the point where it was just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, but I wasn't losing anything where Savannah was had walked to the red carpet in front of Angelina Jolie at Cannes and with Ozzy Argento and I remember she would say, I think they know, I think they know, they know, they know. And I think what her deep hope was, was that Argento and other people knew and they loved her anyway, that it was something that was her particular about she was so charismatic and her talent and her, it was her ability that they were actually responding to and not what had it had been built upon, which was the writing and the work um, that allowed it to sustain, sustain for 15 years, not the fact that she was cute, you know, and shy. And it, the whole thing, it's so interesting, your point at the beginning of the conversation, how it's so symbolic of just the everyday of how people represent themselves these days. It's online, a complete avatar, whether you're a fiction writer, a film director, a musician, Right. What you put out online is usually quite different than how you are in real life, especially during the pandemic. And <laughs> you were the kind with of your, filters, yeah. you know, and, and with uh, you, the idea I know um, in it's becoming more and more like in in China, it's considered an insult. If you post a picture, especially of someone without filters on it, that's an insult, you know. Right. Yeah. And it it's like, how dare you post a picture um, without a filter and being told, oh, you posted something without a filter. How brave. Uh, but, but this is it, <laughs> the idea, the idea, the lie that we're comfortable in our skin, that we're comfortable presenting ourselves. That was more the lie agreed upon in back. You know, when I was like, nah, I don't know who I am and I'm not comfortable talking about what, how I feel. I have no words for it. I mean, I grew up, I, I didn't have the words that, oh, wait, there's not a gender binary that uh, I can find a way to talk about having feelings of not knowing where I am on the spectrum of how I identify that I, that that's okay, that whether I feel, whether I want to have sex with a woman or a man or whether I have don't want to have sex with anyone or whether I, I want to be a boy or I want to be it. I had no language for that. I only because I had experienced uh, pretty severe physical and sexual abuse. I had a complete 
disconnection and I had no way to move past the shame. So I created uh, another character, a disassociation, which is not um, the Hollywood production of multiple personality, but is a disassociation, which is, is pretty documented and pretty common, a way to just make it so I could tell without having it associated with um, me. And I just kind of like a like the way a magician throws does a trick. He he throws the attention and he does the the trick in the shadow. And that actually was a very um, helpful way for me to heal. Exactly, and very powerful to have that story out there. How do you feel with the progression of non-binary issues now in the mainstreaming um, with characters like on Euphoria and? cover of magazines, making kids and teenagers feel more comfortable now. What are your thoughts on all that? Finally, there's this moment in the last few years where kids can really come out and decide for themselves. Has Have you been taken aback by that or anything? Well, well it's wonderful, Ben. It's not just kids. I mean, I my editor is someone who had surgery, I guess, I, I guess she was in her 60s. Um, so... It's wonderful. It doesn't surprise me that Republicans are trying to make this an issue, um, a distraction, which they did with gay rights. Um, you know, you have to remember that everything they're saying now about trans kids, it, you know, being in sports and things like that, it was exactly the same argument that they said about uh, gay men, gay women being teachers. They're going to corrupt your children. They're going to do this and that. You know, in, in San Francisco, one of the last events I went to was the opening of the Harvey Milk Airport um, uh, terminal in Terminal 1 is now Harvey Milk Terminal, which my dear friend, Danny Nicoletta, who took that, um, the, the iconic picture of Harvey Milk that became a Harvey Milk uh, stamp, the forever stamp of Harvey Milk, uh, there's also a Gus Van Zandt film. He, um, <clears throat> the terminal's filled with his photos and he was one of the designers. So I was, I went to a soft opening, but then we were gonna, I was his date for the, um, for the launch, but that didn't happen. But the idea that you can walk through an airport and see and remember that this, they were trying to take away basic rights for just being gay. And that has been a historic tactic to divide and conquer. And it's not based on fact. They, they, the Republicans basically um, create a problem and then try to solve it. And it's just a distraction. So, of course, now that you have more uh, visibility, it's wonderful and you have this language, but it's also, of course, creating uh, opportunity for it to be more of a target. But you, you can't go back. You it it the more um, it's just going to have to go through these kind of convulsions, just like getting used to having uh, queer people being visible. What's been difficult for me is that there's still this perception. I hear all the time or I read all the time where I'm identified as cisgendered, right? And it's like that I'm 
I'm somehow I've uh, transgressed or I've appropriated on the trans community. So you have academics who I'm, I'm fighting right now with this poet who has a book out on Norton where she actually wrote that I'm somehow appropriating the trans community's identity. And, and she's insulting the, the trans community by using the term transgenderism, which isn't even, uh, it's, 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 it's a, um, it's using, using the term transgenderism, it's a deliberate mischaracterization of transgender identity for the purpose of delegitimizing de the existence of transgender folks. And that's what she's doing to me. So it's complex. You know, it's like, again, once, you know how some people have this uh, idea in their head that Obama is definitely not American, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I'm this New Jersey housewife kind of person who I, I did this hoax thing, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, it, it's, it's very hard to kind of break that initial idea of that people might have of who I am and what JT Leroy came from. And that's one of the things I love about you the most that a lot of people would ignore these attacks when they come at you, but you confront them head on, set the record straight and usually change people's minds on their perception of the issue. And that's amazing that you're taking that poet on and taking her to task for coming at you like that, because that's absolutely not what you stand for. Quite the opposite. In fact, well, I, I don't even know if you can really change people's minds. There are some people who will be like, Oh, I, I, I didn't know that. And I've had people who have written to me, like uh, there's Lawrence Rothman, who's this incredible musician. Um, and they, they wrote that at first they were mad when they had read about me, but then they went back to the work and they started asking more questions and they realized that I'm playing with identity and they actually supported what I did. So you have people who are not so attached to what they believe they know about me. You know, it's very hard, Justin, once a narrative kind of um, finds its way into uh, uh, this, into the, the mainstream, you know, it's, it's like um, once we hear something that in, informs our values, you know, where it, it doesn't matter what's true, it's what's believed, you know. And so it's just, it's hard to, um, the fact that uh, there's, we can hear evidence of something not being true, but it's really powerful when a PR machine plants an idea in the public narrative. So I don't know how you change minds. I don't know if you can, you just keep showing up and telling your truth, you know? Yeah. And in cre as creators keep putting out work too. I mean, your w body of work and how much you've put out in different mediums speaks for itself. And, if people need to understand you and understand topics, the work is out there and they can go read the books and now they can hear them on Audible as audiobooks, which is very exciting. Congratulations. Oh, and it's 
Thanks, and it's great that we have such a fucking really cool cast. I mean, that's just, you know, Jeff Searzig read his introduction. He wrote an introduction, and uh, Billy Corgan's introduction is on there. And it's just, uh, we got, you know, some of the Deadwood crew, which is great. Um, Calamity Jane, Robin Weigart is reading. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's really amazing to me that that the work is still relevant and alive to so many kids i teach a lot at i'm brought in as a guest speaker for so many different classes and it's amazing to me and very moving to get the emails where kids are just like um you're talking about things that I never thought I'd be able to find a way to talk about. And, um, and you know, for me, it's like no subjects are, are off limits, you know, within reason. Um, and I'm really grateful to hashtag grateful to be available to kids to find a way outside the whole social media um, Instagram kind of like influencer way of turning themselves into a product to be able to um, because if you if you go back it's what I did at the time it's it was just at that time where we were still kind of the idea that <laughs> it was the idea of oh it's about the art and the artist isn't the product which of course we know was bullshit right and the the artist is always the product and your art it's it's what you produce but it's that kind of um uh twisting or intersection of of both right yeah do you think kids now when you're interacting with them in the classroom or reaching out since the reissues do they lack the confidence now to kind of put out their narrative and put out work as daring and controversial as some of your stuff are they more timid and scared of critical reaction or do you find some young whippersnappers that are ready to really break the mold well i i think it's i think that it's really hard right now to get people's attention and that people feel that they have to do something daring and that uh the willingness just to put in the time to do the, to learn the craft, right. Mm -hmm. Is that's too slow. And there's this kind of hunger to be seen. I, I don't think that's changed. I mean, for me, when you feel so alone and invisible, all you want is fame because you really believe the lie that that's going to fix you. And you see people going to phenomenal extremes to be seen and the idea of how many likes you have how many um <clears throat> you know how many followers you have that that somehow fixes you and if that was true you wouldn't have the the levels of addiction that you have uh with people who are chasing that it just it just is it doesn't work and to be able to go inside and be quiet and find um, what you need to say and let go of uh, 
the need to be legitimized on some platform, it definitely helps in order to um, to have a book published, but that doesn't fix anyone. It's like when I have people say, well, I want to be a writer. It's like, if you write, you're a writer, you know? Um, it, it's really, really challenging right now to be able to just concentrate on what you're doing and not looking at what people are posting and comparing, you know, compare and despair and think, well, I'm not where they are. I think that was some of the rage I got from people. Like I noticed there's this group of San Francisco writers that were coming up at the same time and they probably compared themselves to JT. And here he was like, looked like he was taking every brass ring, every, every kind of, you know, he was the it boy of, of, you know, whenever there's a new writer and they would go to JT for, oh, you want to write this, do this, do this, do that. And they were, they had to feel very competitive. And then when I was outed, all their negative feelings that they had about what they hadn't done, how they hadn't kept up, they could then say, oh, that bitch, it was, she, she fucking cheated. She, she made me feel all this and she was like she faked it it was all this um it was a trick right and so i was the outlet i it was they felt relieved that they they didn't it wasn't this competitive because he was 15 years younger than me and they, if they were my age it was like oh this this kid that was um this wonderkind uh had achieved all this and so they could they could legitimately focus their rage onto me and those negative feelings. But it's like, Hey, I didn't go to Iowa workshop. My, my last grade of completion was sixth grade. Mm -hmm. it, it was like, I didn't make it through college without, you know, going, I want hardship scholarships that I couldn't even accept it. Cause I went, I was hospitalized, you know, it's like, no, no, I did not cheat. I worked harder, but you know, you want to hang on to your anger. God bless. So, I mean, I think we are encouraged to feel very, very competitive. And then we get very attached to this kind of um, feeling that we're not enough. We're not where we should be. And I, I mean, I have to uh, code switch and decompress and, and make a conscious choice not to be on social media, not to do that and just be okay with where I'm at. That's incredibly insightful and for all those young people listening today you are where you are at right now and it is gonna everything's gonna happen for you you can manifest it and all your dreams will come through everything you just described is the lens or your money back or your money back justin will you can submit a bill there you go or your money back full refund if things don't work out so justin I are you telling everyone that's listening that so but I mean, I think it's like, okay, so what is your, what's your fucking goal? You know, like I've been around people where it was just to be like having all the labels and all that shit. And it, it, to me, that that's the bullshit. Like that's the bullshit. I wear the same thing, the same fucking clothes when I appear because I'm with Greta, you know, 
I don't need to be spending money on that shit, right? I, I, if someone gives it to me, fine, but I don't want to be uh, consuming and adding to the climate crisis, right? Um, I don't, I hate when my brain starts thinking, starts getting into that materialism of, oh, this is going to fix me if I get a new iPhone or this or that, that that's somehow going to fix me. And that's the lie that we're constantly sold. So, you know, it it's, it's like, for me, having somebody write to me and say, you know, your work really kept me alive. It got me through a dark space and you gave, okay, that I need to let that in and let that feed me. So it's like, um, finding ways to, to tell your truth. And there's so many avenues in the arts and being, uh, um, and creative and being of service in the world. It, it's just, um, being political, being an activist. It's, I think that if your goal is money, if that is your organizing principle, that's, that's sad. I mean, you need money in order to function. It's very hard to function without money, but having that be your whole goal. I know a lot of people with a lot of money who are absolutely fucking miserable. Absolutely. I think the lens you just described is what I put on the rap industry in my last movie, American Rap Star, which is hyper crowded industry competitive industry here one day gone tomorrow so artists yeah. like xxx and tassian little peep little pump takashi 69 do these outrageous things to try to make financial gains make hit records stand out and it was a very interesting project for me and now not a day goes by where i'm not mentoring a young kid who feels completely hopeless and feels like their career is in the shitter especially after the pandemic when a lot of people lost everything so i try to be this blind light of hope i feel like throughout a young person's day there's so much negativity and so much competition and not where you need to be that i'm the guy who's just like no you are exactly where you need to be right now and if you weren't you would know it and tomorrow you're gonna wake up and you're exactly where you need to be tomorrow and i don't know if that's helped people but that's kind of been my role in it at this point you could probably tell <laughs> no yeah and you've been through it too it's like it's very hard not to get sucked up into that bullshit look i i worked at this um place project level and uh um, we, I was a fundraiser there and it was at the African American cultural center and, um, they, uh, were a place for kids to come and learn, uh, the different, different, um, careers in the arts and beat making was one of them and very talented kid was there and he was, he was making these amazing beats and got a manager, um, and was going to he even made some beats for Wiz Khalifa and they fucking spit him out. And, um, he went through hell to just, um, actually I use his music. I, I, if you go to my Instagram, a lot of the, um, before we're using the, the readings, his, his beats are, they're like epic soundtracks. I hired him and I, I, I use his music. Um, 
how to walk away from all that, uh, how many people like you and that kind of bullshit um, and being a product to his uh, joy. And um, I saw that a lot with so many kids in the industry. There's this great, um, there's this guy UFO. I don't know if you know him, but he, he's in the Bay area and he mentors a lot of kids. And uh, he also had this huge following and, and had to walk away from it. And um, it's, it's really, really hard for people. It's really hard. Uh, and I think having this break from uh, not being able to perform and not being able to um, feed off of that energy has been interesting for various people in the industry in the music community in terms of whether they just um what they what they discovered uh in this kind of fallow time or no or it was it rich for them or was it how much for it was dependent on on this kind of like very external world and what were they able to discover within themselves without the kind of constant feedback loop from other people, you know? Yeah. That's very interesting. In your experience mentoring and doing classes, are you finding young talent these days in the uh, teenage young early twenties range? Are, are are there any young fiction writers? Oh God, or? but Yeah. I mean, all yeah. the time. I, I don't think, you know, I, I, I try not to be ageist too, because it's like there's so many people who discover their voice later in life. So I think, you know, you know how magazines remember like interview magazine where every month was just this new crop of beauty and talent. And then how many do you still know about? Right. And I think we have to be careful about fetishizing youth and fetishize like hoping for a fully formed voice uh for me i felt like you know my first 15 years were kind of stolen from me so i just kind of subtracted that and you know like uh jt was 15 years younger than me which to me was like i i i didn't kind of start until actually it took it took longer until i got into um getting back to school and doing things like that. But he was 15 years younger than me. And of course, male. Um, but it was this idea of having, and the first work was very raw, but what's, there are kids who are very, um, are, don't have the limitation in terms of, um, fear about how they talk about their gender, their sexuality, being able to be that much freer from the smog of racism. I really don't like this kind of stay in your lane bullshit. I think that there's a lot of um, fear also that people, a lot of kids have where you have to be really careful about what you write about for fear that a mob is going to come and say that isn't okay. Now that said, it's, it, it's absolutely um, 
not okay for to it's 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 really really complex it's like uh i i feel like there are, oh you're gonna have to help me out here on what <laughs> well you know the whole thing of like stay in your lane right? oh yeah yeah so, yeah right, of course right. yeah okay. yeah so in terms of writing mm-hmm. or creating art, it's it, there are forms of, of appropriation, right? right? Okay, yeah. mm-hmm. At the same time, um, there, I also feel that that's very limiting. I would not want to tell the story I don't, I don't think it's appropriate for me to try to take on the story, to tell a story of someone who is a Black American, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I have written about my my house parent, who was my mom, uh, Stella Okalue, and I'm making sure that everything is correct with a family member of her that, you know, when I'm putting like writing about how she spoke, things like that. Now, I have no doubt that there might be somebody who would say, um, how dare you, you know? How dare you write in, I'm not writing in her voice, but I am, I am in a sense writing in her voice if I'm giving her dialogue, right? So am I not allowed to do that? It's, it's, so I know a lot of people who are very silenced by this fear. Look, if I if I who wrote about who wrote about uh, uh, the non gender binary, right, saying creating somebody who did not exist in a gender binary, because J T. Leroy he wasn't trans, he was gender fluid, right? I created something that didn't yet have a name, and if I could get accused of taking advantage of something that I basically worked to help create and legitimize as as just just resting transparently on the grace that gave it rise like just just being i mean how is it for somebody who how is it for a young kid who struggling with the complexity of their feelings and being influenced by the cornucopia we have of art just to find their own true voice and weed out what's okay and what's not okay it's complex man it is complex and that's very well put and we go through it in the rap world as well we're in the (laughs) middle of a appropriation war with our latest music video a raging debate whether our latest subject has appropriated jamaican culture and rap culture and bay area culture and my lens is kind and of like, and what you want to talk about that? <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, I can talk about my feelings about creating an appropriation. Is that things? It is offensive to appropriate and misrepresent. In it's done on SNL every week. It's done in comedy. It's done in stand-up comedy. It's done in rap music. It's done in everything. And and what happens is life is offensive, and art is often offensive, and things are offensive and trying to make the ride of life smooth and comfy and comfortable for everyone. is just not, it just doesn't really work out. I think you got to kind of take the bumps and um, be offended and be upset 
and express how you're upset. I, I, a lot of personal friends are upset by our latest music video and have told me, and it's not the first time they've been upset by our work. And it just is what it is. I mean, I don't know. Life is offensive and then you die. So it's, it's not very, uh, I think it's, it's necessary to appropriate definitely when you're doing things and it just is what it is. And whether you're responsible about it or not, I don't know if I feel a responsibility to tell people to be responsible, but I don't know whose job that is. But I think we might differ slightly on that opinion because it is there are sensitive groups that get overly offended, perhaps, or I don't know. Do you agree with my my lens, or is it? Well, and, uh, no. I mean, I don't. I don't think I agree because I think that you know there are. It. I mean, historically, there are. I mean. Black culture has been taken from and, and not uh, given the financial remuneration that they deserve. So when someone of great of privilege comes and appropriates, that's that's fucked up. You know, I mean, I'm sorry. There's no way around it. And it it's political. It's it, it everything stems back to um, it, it. It's entrenched systematic racism and anything that perpetrates that and continues to continues to um make it okay legitimizes that practice and i i have i definitely have an issue with that um i i mean it's the same thing where how it was okay to kind of portray jews in a certain way or take Jewish stories and then make them uh, goy stories. <laughs> you know, goy is not Jewish, right? And then, and then it was okay because telling a Jewish story wasn't okay. Um, it, it's it's complex stuff, and I'm not going to be the cop around it. But I definitely have um, a moral ground about how I feel because we are living in a time of great inequity and it, it and people of color do not have the same access in any way. I mean, you and I, look, I've, I've, I have, uh, because of being Jewish, I've experienced discrimination. I've, I've, uh, I have, I have experienced anti-Semitism um, that was absolutely horrifying, but I also have a certain amount of privilege because of being considered white. And so therefore there are things that I could get away with that a person of color could not. And until we really acknowledge that and understand what these conversations are about and educate and kind of, pull back all the layers we we can't just kind of say it is what it is because that's it isn't it isn't it is not you know yeah and i think you're right and instinctively i think that you are right and that i'm i'm certainly wrong and kind of on the back <laughs> of my life <laughs> what do i get do i get the teddy bear <laughs> i no i think this is why these conversations are important because it's like why do i do these things and it's not like i get paid a lot to do them 
And even when we were well, at Vice, we were something that's your existential existential question. I mean, it's hard because it's like, man, you know, you like music, you know. And look, my 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 son, he's he grew you know grew up going to the African American Cultural Center, and he was the only white kid there, and he made made beats, you know, and made music, but he he was like, you know, there were people like, well, dude, why don't you get into rapping and stuff? And he's like, that's not, that's not me. I like making this music and, and being, um, that's not, and, and it's not that, you know, there's this kid, I think his name is Frank or Frack and, and he's a Jewish rapper and he's great. You know, he's really great. It's not like, I feel like, Oh, you need to be, um, you need to be of color in order to be a rapper. That's definitely not uh, how I feel. But I think that there are people who are um, very, very disrespectful and are straight out. Um, well, it's embarrassing. I mean, it, it, it's it's just it's it's a travesty. They are. <laughs> it's um it's a joke and they're playing they're basically uh if i saw them putting on kind of like jewish face you know like doing some kind of you know i mean usually when that happens it's a comedy right but uh well it's usually another jew doing it but uh it's it's um it's hard to do it I, you know, the thing for me when I wrote, I wrote about, I I do feel as a writer, I have the right to um, tell any story I want to. And I have the right to have gone to Harvard or Yale and come from uh, a very wealthy family. Um, I don't feel like I have to show my cred, right? For me, the truth is that I I came from uh, trauma. I came from being institutionalized. My family was lower middle class. Um, at at times, you know, after my parents got divorced, my mother was selling New York Times subscriptions in order to um, support us. And I was running the mafia's phone sex line as a teenager to bring in money. You know, I I I I feel like um, I. I have my cred. I wrote about, I experienced uh, so much trauma that other kids that I was locked up with went through. We, we know that when you're exposed to other people's trauma, it, it, the brain can even take it on as your own trauma, right? Uh, so adjacent trauma. Um, at the same time, I feel like so in other words, what I'm saying is I come by my, what I wrote about, honestly, I wasn't um, uh, kind of a misery, like um, uh, uh, trolling or whatever. I, I, I experienced what I wrote about. I turned it upside down and uh, put it into this magical fictional world uh, in Sarah in, in West Virginia, in West Virginia that didn't really exist. But 
so I'm not saying that somebody has to <clears throat> have been shot in order to write about, uh, to have an authentic uh, uh, story of suffering. And I do think that when you start appropriating a way of speaking and a kind of a way of um and also taking on this idea that things are that that kind of suffering, like I mean, I saw this with Azir Gento kind of taking on and glamorizing um, poverty and suffering, and it's like nobody asked for that. You, that that's that's born out of out of poverty is not something that anyone enjoys. You're taking it on like a fashion pose, like something you can slip on and slip off. So that I have a fucking problem with, you know? Right. And it's weird. There's no real understanding of, of what's behind it and the horror of it, you know? It's just, oh, you think it's cool? Uh-uh. Yeah. And it's, I was always attracted to edgy stuff in my teens, like Harmony, Gus, Asia, my entry point to some of your work was through her film adaptation. Were, how did you feel like that film came out? Was it a disservice? I can't quite remember. Is that what you're referring to with the? Um, well, so, so, Asia um, Gento made. Uh, she optioned the hardest deceitful, the book I wrote before Sarah, and it's these short stories. It's also out on audiobook, and. Um, What's interesting is one of them is Marilyn Man Marilyn Manson was one of his first acting roles, and right. he's playing a child molester. What a fucking surprise! It is an edgy, <laughs> intense film. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something. There were so many things in there where, I mean, Ozzy's basically playing herself, and um, uh, I think that. Each, there are each little short stories and you have to watch the film as eat little vignettes. So um, basically some are better than the others. Like I think the one with Jeremy Renner is great with uh, Jimmy Bennett, who she later um, uh, is a sexual predator with. <laughs> I mean, a good the, friend of mine. We've made a lot of music together. <laughs> Who? Which one? Oh, Jimmy is. Yeah. Ugh. Jimmy Bennett. He's he's great. Tell him. Oh God, poor kid. I mean, fuck. Uh, you know. He's I, great. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. And continue what you were saying. That's that's <laughs> when I broke my silence. When I fucking saw, you know, Azurgento <laughs> wanted to be Angel Angelina Jolie without doing the fucking footwork. You know. Mm -hmm. yeah. She she. She didn't give a fuck. She doesn't give a fuck about anybody except her own little world. I mean, in that that piece she did with Anthony Bourdain, mm. um, she says, you know, she doesn't vote. She just takes care of her little world. She's fucking telling the truth. You know, she smoked crack on the set. Our, our fucking set was watched mm -hmm. um, by, uh, I guess it was uh, a... I think it was the FBI that was there because of the heroin and the fucking crack that was going on. I mean, it was a fucking shit show. And um, it, I think that if you watch each vignette, some are better than others. 
I think that you're seeing Asya wanted to play Sarah because she wanted to play herself, you know? What a production. I mean, that movie, I watched it so young, like alongside Gummo and having Marilyn and Asia and everything that's now happened with them. Mm-hmm. It's uh, <laughs> quite quite a ride, that movie and, and crew. had. I forgot Jeremy Renner was in it, though. What a, what a role for him. <laughs> there's, there's some very moving pieces in it that are, yeah. are very, um, that I think are very powerful and very well done. Um I just, there was no reason for Azir Gento to show up in his life. She played his abusive mother. He was not protected on the set from what I understand and what I was told and from what I saw. Um, he, it's, it's really hard, as we know, for kids growing up with the idea of fame. And from what I understand, you know, a lot of his money was misappropriated. Why do, Why does she need to show up? He's 17 years old. Uh, here she's like this. Um, not only did he play, not only did she play the mother, she's this very uh, charismatic kind of larger than life character. Oh, I'll make you a star. Oh, you know, the reunion and this and that. She had no business to fucking one, be meeting with him too, getting high with him, right? Drinking with him, being in bed with him. The, the fucking level of what, what you feel in terms of the power imbalance and to fucking do that to somebody, right? It's a major mind fuck. There's no fucking reason, right? And God, it infuriated me. It fucking infuriated me. And then to try to turn it around and be like, she was the fucking victim. You don't fuck with people like that. Yeah. She is uh, a bad, bad person. And Marilyn is too. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I, you know, it's, it's funny because I'll tell you, I mean, you might want to start this interview from like all this shit, but it's like now it's getting interesting right um i was at billy corgan's birthday and manson was talking to this other predator person and like i just started snapping photographs like i was in their face like it was very unconscious justin i can't like i was just like circling them (laughs) snapping photos and like it's like i I couldn't, I didn't want to stop. And finally they turned and said, you know, can you stop? And I was like, oh, and, you know, I was like, yeah, fuck you. you know, it's like, I, I felt this, um, the night of like the hardest deceitful party, you know, the, uh, I was not in the drug scene. You know, for me, it was like, okay, if there's chocolate, that, uh, that goes to me, but um, Savannah was very into that, right? So she disappeared, and we were in the ho- we were in the Chateau Marmont, and she went that night. Everyone went to Marilyn Manson's room, and it was like a it was like a drug fest, you know, all fucking night long. And um, I mean, she should have if she really wanted to be honest, she should have written all about that she should have written about Ozzy Argento using her as a mule to carry drugs between her and fucking Mike 
pin on the set, you know, and the love's triangle. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like instead it's this most boring bullshit fucking, oh my God. I mean, what would you rather see? Courtney Love in, in that movie where she's like sitting there as an agent or the coke snort that lasts like what fucking five minutes and author the jt Leroy story yeah exactly oh my goodness and if you want to see good for, good for courtney for she gave permission for that to be used she was like sure <laughs> you guys had a pretty badass scene back then i'm not gonna lie i'm a little jealous Kid, kids these days don't party like y'all did back then at the no, show i mean time. i did it, but that's the thing i yeah. fucking did it you, know, you were too I, I, literary, yeah. You were the genius. No, it wasn't too literary. It just wasn't my, it, you know, I have my own drug of choice or a no choice, as we'd say, which is food. You know, it's like I, I've had weight loss surgery, um, which isn't a magic fix. Uh, it has health consequences, but my weight has pretty much stayed the same. But um, uh, it's... Uh, I was morbidly obese when I was um, after not long after I had my son and I, I felt like I could not stop. I was a hardcore fucking food addict. I mean, you know, the power of, of food. Right. Um, it's like kind of the last addiction that people who go into programming get clean. And especially to be a fat woman, it's people are really... Um, they hold you with disdain and disgust and it, it only amplified my own shame and my own feeling of divorce from my own sexuality and my body. And it wasn't, it wasn't an accident either. It also kept me separate, but I grew up being tortured because of, you know, I, I always was jealous of all the cool kids. I mean, I was a punk and there was nothing worse than being a fat punk. You know, I, I couldn't wear the clothes like my cool friends could so i hid and only if i thought i was thin enough then i would go to a, a show and um but i interviewed all my heroes my punk heroes you know ian mckay and mike mirror from suicidal tendencies i mean i thanked mike mirror because i got knocked up on purpose when i was in foster care with his head of a skinhead gang i had you know as we were uh multi, we were a multicultural this was um, more the kind of ska skinhead, but my partner was getting very into the British movement, was which was racist, and I was going to have a baby. And um, Mike Muir was the only one who told me, "Fucking don't do it, man. You're you're a kid. You're fucking a kid." I would have been an 18 year old mom in foster care, and. Uh, Everyone, Ian McKay from Minor Threat, you know, congratulations, fucking great. Because all I wanted to do was bring my little punk baby and show it off to CBGBs. You know, me and the dad, the potential father, we used to have fights of whether the kid would listen to fucking Motorhead or not. Heavy metal, because he was into fucking metal and I was not. And that was, <laughs> that's some fights we would have, you know, that's, so. That's so badass. <laughs> and and if you see some sick shit you know but thank god that that uh, that spirit would did not want to come into the world at this at the time you know and i had an, an abortion right right which i'm very grateful that i was able to do uh because it would have been a very i would have not have been a, a 
a good parent to say the least. There's so much to unpack there. There's two things I want to say. Tracing Jimmy now from that time, he is in the new Machine Gun Kelly movie film, a uh, music film called Hollywood Down Hollywood Downfall or something like that. Downfall High, and he's the lead in that, and he's got a blossoming music career with the likes That's of Mod Son so, and Machine Gun Kelly. I would, I would, you know, put me in touch with him. I would love. He was just mm. such an organic actor and. Just a really, when I met him, I, w- I wasn't very much on the set because, again, nobody knew. It's funny, here I was the assistant, but the set was such oh. a mess that they had me, the assistant, working on the dialogue. And nobody ever questioned, why is the assistant, not even JT, writing the dialogue right. on the set, right? Because it and was just like a shit show. I was curious, too, for people listening, like, how... Uh, did the food addiction end for you? What was the, I know we've talked about it in the past, but what was the end game there? How did it? Um, it- I, then I knew I was going to die. I mean, I, I went to the doctor and I was like um, over 300 pounds and I had the testosterone of a man. I had cholesterol level that, you know, I had um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. I was um, pre-diabetic. They wanted to put me on glucophage and all these other drugs and I knew I couldn't stop. It's like someone finding out that they have um, emphysema and all they want is a cigarette. And I read about the surgery um, that uh, called a duodenal switch, which was different than a ruin Y, which people, it wasn't, it was more severe. Like they kind of rewire everything and it, they make your stomach smaller, which it, can stretch out but they make it so you can't absorb as much and um i just felt like i had no choice it's a very dangerous surgery and there's a lot it has a high statistical failure actually of all the people who had that surgery i'm the only one left alive at the time they don't even do the one i had so the woman who um uh who was a trans woman who mentored me uh, who was my angel through it? She died. Um, it's it's left me with a lot of issues, severe issues, of caused by malabsorption. But I, I'll tell you when when we went to Italy. It was not long after I had my surgery, and I thought I felt really svelte, you know, which means thin. Um, but I was around. I guess I was maybe in the 170s or something and i i i to ozzy i must have been like the worst her worst nightmare but i was feeling pretty good but it was there when you're in italy everything is in like so much oil and fat so we would go for these meals that were like three hours long a lot of lot of like olive oil and desserts and then they'd be like do you want gelato and it was like yes and i'd go out and i'd have gelato and because my stomach was still small i would then i would vomit right because i would puke it up and it's not this is like way too graphic but like it doesn't digest it doesn't come out tasting like puke so but then i would have horrible diarrhea so oh my god we went to this reading where i we drove and like the whole reading you know savannah's upstairs doing the reading and i'm on the toilet the whole time like just like 
I didn't get one picture. I couldn't do anything. I don't know. The reading must have been two hours. I couldn't leave the fucking toilet. And I know everyone thought I was bulimic or something, but I remember one night we went, my memory of the whole tour, it's like meeting Madonna, this one and that, it was like toilet, toilet, because <laughs> it's like, an, I couldn't digest fat and it would come out of me. <laughs> and um, it was very, very humbling. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're doing it for the celebrity. No, I was invisible to them. We'd meet all these people. And it's like, I, I'm, they didn't know that I was the one running the show. So I numbed myself with food. And then it, it was like, it's like clockwork orange. You know, I suffered for it later. Um, I finally like clockwork orange, you know, where the idea of violence, it's, it's so associated with pain that he doesn't do it anymore. The idea of, eating fat like ice cream all i can think about is how sick i'm gonna get so it's not appealing and also my taste buds changed so um i don't know everything kind of lifted for me it really changed something biologically for me um i'm i won't say that i'm free from compulsive eating there are times when i really uh and there's emotional stuff, but what I go for is very different from what I used to. I used to like, I'd sit and I'd eat like pints of ice cream. I don't do that anymore. It'll be like um, uh, um, non, like lactose-free yogurt with um, blueberries and, and uh, soy milk or something, you know? Wow. It's yeah. very different. It's very different. What a journey, which is so important for people today to hear. And I, I know you've talked about it before. And but, but Justin, the thing is, it's like I can I I went from being like the the kid that was teased, right? And um, I was called Fat Albert, you know, like the Cosby Show. I was so grateful when that shit happened with Bill Cosby because that meant Fat Albert wasn't going to be on anymore. Right, uh, that because I grew up with hey 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 it's Fat Albert, and I experienced walking the red carpet and having people tell me that I looked um, attractive, and that was very new and different. And what I got to see is how much that didn't fix me, right? How much it didn't fix that broken part inside me, and having people from my past who had hurt me, um, meeting them and going and saying, oh, look, I did this, this, and this, and this is how I look, and you are a fuckhead to me. It, you know, I've had moments with people where they're, they've actually apologized and they owned it, and we sat there, and it, I, w I accepted their apology and, and talked about that we processed, but I realized, wow, it, it really didn't fix it. Like it didn't, the only way is, um, doing, doing the work, um, experiencing those, those feelings through writing, but also, uh, being present with people who presently are suffering. There's, there is no way to get 
take attention to kind of get, there's no material thing. There's no compliment. There's no um, being the bell of the ball that can heal that past um, injury. And I think that our culture in movies and in pop culture, so many of the stories are, oh, look, you can go from a little bit and have a lot and that's going to fix it. And you have to steer against the way that cultural narrative drives, you know, which is really hard. Very well put. I'm just grateful that I'm not beholden to killing myself with food the way I was that I get. Um, I, that doesn't mean I'm, I get very anxious and I know it's spiritual, mental, physical, and I have to keep those things in balance. And it's very, very, very difficult. And, um, I, I get people all the time who come to me and talk about feeling suicidal and, and I, I understand that. Absolutely. It's like my mentor, um, David Milch, it's like, you have to break things down to how do you do the next indicated thing? How do you do just not how just doing the next indicated thing? Because I think we're trained to find something outside ourselves to, to automatically show us that we're okay. And sometimes breaking it down to what's the next indicated thing I need to do to be present within myself, to be of service to someone else, to not live in the illusion of my isolation of self. It's really hard because I have so much justified anger, resentment, and fear that I can spend forever in that but that doesn't get me anywhere. Did Milch give you techniques to, to deal with all that? Or what is your process to put all that aside so you can get work done on a day-to-day basis? It's just fucking doing it. I mean, he would just be like, when I'm not writing, I'm not writing. It's like, when you're not fucking doing it, you're not doing it. I mean, he was a hardcore um, addict. I mean, he talked about that and he was doing like 75 Vicodin a day, 75, Justin, he did not play. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. that boy did not play, you know, and um, he he was very much of service, spent a lot of time um, working with other addicts to help them uh, be in recovery. Uh, if you watch Deadwood, it's very much about how do we come together to um, how we're forced to come together. It's about a town within the absence of law. How did they come together to fight an existential threat? Um, It's very broken people who are basically a mystery onto themselves. And at a time where I was a mystery uh, onto myself, it was really wonderful to have someone just tell me that I had a gift and that I was, I was ready just to be within it and to take my time to find out what that was um, and to let everything just fall away. And, you know, I, you have to remember, I was public enemy number one. It, it, I really was. It's like when I meet kids today and when we've shown the movie, people are kind of astonished. And I, because they're like, wait, what, what was the big deal? And... It's like I, I joke that I was Harvey Weinstein of 2005, 2006. I just forgot to rape anyone, you know? 
Yeah, the original and, canceled one of the originals. Right, but, except you know what 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 the trespass was was really it's like um, you bought a fucking book, you know, you bought a book and it says fiction, you know, the rest. What the other stuff is like a lot of bullshit, you know. You bought a book and any anything, uh, any other baggage or whatever. You had a personal relationship with JT. That's between you and me, you know. But um, you know, let's take it outside. But anyway, uh, I don't know, man. Do you still speak with Milch? How have your relationship changed through his battle with Alzheimer's and everything? Um. I saw him a year ago and uh, it's, you know, we, my son and I, you know, my son was on Deadwood and we called him recently and he sounded really good. He was sounded upbeat and he, he's, he talked about, he asked us if we were writing and he's like, are we at cross purposes here? And his language is just, he, he, you know, we were, he did the Deadwood movie and we were saying that, even with full-blown dementia, he's a better writer than 99.9% of the writers in all. <laughs> you know? I mean, he's 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 a wonderful being. It's um you know, it, it's heartbreaking. I I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for him. Um I'm really I'm really grateful that I I, I think it's really important that sometimes we have this inner kind of voice that says like uh knock on somebody's window like try to um i think it's really important for we'll say young people to reach out to mentors i i tell my son you know where it it's like finding the next mentor you and and that's a lifelong process i think it's important for all of us to find people who are ahead of us uh, spiritually, emotionally, physically, you know, like a lot of people will work out with a physical trainer. You need that in every aspect of your life. And it's people that are showing you a path that, um, it, it's kind of like the, the, someone who can it, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's exercise for your brain, for your mind. Um, and I think we get intimidated. That's one thing that I did is I reached out to people that I was moved by their art and I didn't go like saying here, read my work. I talked to them about their art. I interviewed them and they often asked me, can I read your work? Um, because I think there was a way that I asked questions that they they felt were very different than the usual questions. They were like, oh, something's different here. And then I shared my work and they passed my work around. I mean, that's how all of this happened. How JT, I never got, I never tried to get a book deal. I, it didn't, it just happened. You know, there, I contacted um, different writers that I felt a part of their work spoke to me. And that's changed over the years, but it was the same thing. Like, in, if you remember in the documentary author, the JT Leroy story, there's a scene where uh, I was watching Deadwood and I felt like I kept hearing the voice go to Deadwood, go to Deadwood. And it was difficult because it meant I had to corral Savannah who embodied JT. 
I had to like contact HBO. I had to make all these things happen, but it, it was worth it. It's funny. I was talking to John Hawks who plays um, Saul stars. He, he just um, watched the documentary recently and he called me up and he was like, Oh my God, I had no idea. But he knew, he knew when I was down there, he knew um, we had gone to Deadwood, South Dakota together he had played shows with his band in San Francisco. So he knew I was JT, but he just didn't pay attention to all the like details. He he took it at face value, you know. It's like, oh, you write and you use a pseudonym, whatever the fuck. Um, musicians were way more open to that because they knew it's like David Bowie. That's not David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust. You know, they understand using illusion as their medium right so he he just called me and he was like oh fuck i had no idea no idea wow you know and it was really really cool um so being able to like when i went down there and and met milch i told him immediately i he read the books and then we were staying at carrie fisher's house and he came and picked us up, David Milch, and I told him right away that I was the writer because I just knew I could, and he got it right away. And it, it was this kind of letting go. Um, I did that with date with um, Billy Corgan. You know, I, I felt like um, he, he had spoken about his experience of being um, – of child abuse being abused and spin magazine. And, um, uh, they framed it in a really fucked up dysfunctional way. And, um, it was very clear to me that his work was an expression of trauma. And, um, he did very much connect to the work and he wasn't connecting to JT in any sexual way. It was a, it was problematic when some people were turned on to JT. Their, of course, their reaction was if they're reacting with their dick, it's going to be, <laughs> you know, they 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 might have a different reaction, right, to finding out that uh, JT was not the their boy fuck of the year. Um, he he re, he connected to the work. But yet I had a connection with him. I don't know how to explain this, but it's like I felt my connection with him and like that part of me that talked to him as JT. And then there was my relationship with him and they were separate things. I don't know how to explain it, but I had to like kind of let that other one go and allow myself to just um, have that gift of that connection with him. And that was something I normally would never dare to do. Very but interesting. I, it, it is really interesting. And I did something with him that I never, ever did, which is while I was physically with him, it's when they were, it was during Zwan and they were making the video. And I think my son was in the video and they were filming and I was with him. And while I was with him, I physically with him, like I, I, I remember we were on these stairs where at, um, on set and we were away from everyone and I and JT just spoke to him you know just and he just had a conversation with JT while we're physically together and I never ever did that it's like letting someone see you masturbate or something it's just like I mean where where you're not it, you're not in a relationship with them you know like it's I mean 
if you're if you're not okay <laughs> let me let me set the scene so I, it felt shameful or like something i would never do because it was very i didn't understand it it was a little scary a little um it was something that i couldn't explain that it wasn't a joke it was something that was very real and very tender and he absolutely held it held it and it wasn't something that was like he didn't pathologize it it just was what it was you know having had all those experiences and author and then jt Leroy with laura dern what is your relationship like with hollywood and tv and film do you think you'll enter that world again with the new agent and the new book and the reissues or are you kind of done with the present state of hollywood i never left justin i mean there's shit i did that people don't know that i've done you know it's wow. like i was in a lawsuit anyway uh yeah no i'm still there excellent <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a writer, I'm an artist, I'm, you know, I, I play in the fields of the Lord, you know, I mean, you're drinking my Kool-Aid and don't know you're drinking it, and that's fine, you know? You know what people did during the, when they were blacklisted? What did they do, Justin? Kept making work. You got it. <laughs> is there is there anything coming out or out that you can speak on that your name well, is well we're i'm doing well you know my books are out on blackstone audio which is really great i mean it it's we got michael imperioli you know christopher from uh the sopranos we got joshua caleb johnson who's the lead in good lord bird did you watch that with ethan hawk yes i love that movie absolutely fucking great yeah he's a he's a great actor he means meteors which is a story I wrote right before Sarah. I mean, we right. have really, really great cast. Shirley Manson mm -hmm. is reading Oliver. I mean, she's fucking amazing. We have Soku, you know? What a great, um, amazing idea. Like, And it introduces a whole new generation and audience to this work, too. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah we've got Donovan's kid. You know, Dono. Yeah. Dono <laughs> you know, he, so he's reading one, and his wife, Libby Mintz, is reading one. And she's, they're all great. And Winston Brown does Sarah, and she, oh my God, she's in the new, oh, okay, Six Degrees of Separation. She's in the new Tom Hanks film. Who, um, who decided these voices? Was it you in collaboration with the company, or was it? I, I met, I met, so, like Winston Brown, I was hanging out with Paula Malcolmson in New York and who's, you know, from um, uh, uh, Hunger Games and Deadwood. Um, and uh, I was hanging out with her in New York and she's like, oh, I've got this friend and I met her and I just was like, she, she told me what a great actress she was. And she was, she was just such a real being. So I, I, I didn't know anything about who she was or anything, or, but I just was very struck with um, who she was. And, and I asked her if she wanted to do Sarah and she auditioned and it was just amazing. Um, she blew it away. And it's funny, but Blackstone, they knew who she was and they had been wanting to work with her. So everyone on there was someone that I knew and had a connection with um this uh writer paul mendez 
he he came to my attention because he's a black British writer who um, had cited my work as an inspiration that he read when he was a kid and contributed to him being um, a writer and to have a a, a queer writer uh talking about my work is inspiring them I just was very moved and I, I read his work and it was it was beautiful so I invited him to be a reader it's like going full circle so um like Darnell Martin who I, she actually directed um uh episode three of Good Lord Bird with um with um David Diggs as Frederick Douglas which I, I think is just a, it's a wonderful episode um uh I knew her from when I was in my 20s. She did uh Cadillac Records, Beyonce's first film. Right. So, you know, it's, it's people that I have I have a connection either from the JT days or um I went to school with or you know um something like that. You know it's it's funny that Soku is one of the readers and she um, dated Kristen Stewart, right? So you have someone who played JT, uh, and who dated the person who played JT. So everything's always a little layered, but you know, and then, and then God willing, God willing, um, the book will be ready to, um, get sold this year. It's, um, my editor is working on condensing everything because I wrote too much. And so I just have to close this gap. And, um, you know, and hopefully uh, all will be well. <laughs> I can't wait to sit down and read it in one sitting, which is, is I know is what I'm going to do. <laughs> do you see you optioning it for movie TV rights. I know it's still early oh, in the well, process, but. Well, the thing that, you know, I mean, before shit hit the fan, we were actually in talks to do it as a series. And I, I had a number, I had a couple of different people we met with because like the group home stuff, it's never been done realistically. You know, it's, it's been like there's the Rose, uh, Rosie O'Donnell kind of series, which has a Hollywood gloss to it. You know, um, I haven't seen it done very without the Hollywood eye. And I think that would be a very good point of entry. So um, it, it, I had one thing that, uh, me too kind of you know the one of the people got um was involved in that and it's always you know i always find there's a way where I, i'm like i think it's i want to push something through like it's like this is my say this is it this is it and then something happens and i look back and i'm like oh it's a gift because if I don't finish the book, I can't have someone tell it for me, you know, writing it. It's like Baldwin talks about writing. It's like opening your arm and, and digging in it. It's phenomenally painful and doing the work, going inside. 
And actually, you know, if there's an easier, softer way, I'd gladly take it, but no one can do it for me. I, I'm not going to wake up and have the Keebler elves fucking finish my book for me. Um, and no one, no writing team. Like I, I met with this pretty famous producer guy and he's like, we'll get these great, you know, we'll get theater writers and all these writers. I'm like, you know, I, and that was my fantasy. It's like, wow, a writer's room. And, you know, I can be there and, you know, kind of consult and it'll be done for me. And it's like, that's not what's, I realize like you can't do that. You can't. I have to finish it and then I can give it over, you know? <laughs> wow. And um, I can't wait. I can't wait for all that. Will this work be a work of fiction or are we blurring lines again? So I'm just purely curious. Oh, in terms of what I'm going to call it. I mean, it's, it's nonfiction. Got it. So Got I it. hate the term memoir because that's Amazing. just, I don't like the term memoir. I mean, it's so like, uh, it, it's like when you're, I mean, when my grandma would call it bloomers, you know, like bloomers instead of like, it felt gross or it's like, no, it, it's like underwear or panties, but not bloomers, you know, like memoirs, like bloomers, you know? So, uh, it's nonfiction and I'm, I'm hashtag grateful that, uh, there are people that where I'm writing about it, where I can fact check shit and um, not only fact check, but get, there are things like I could get more of the story that if there's something my memory isn't, I don't know about, it's like, Oh wow. It's it, I'm really grateful how many people are, really want the story to be told and are very forthcoming about what happened. And you said so. the title of the work, right? I, that was, what is it called? Or is title not? No, out I don't, I don't have a name for it. This is, Got it. it's not like, I thought I you have had some, I have some working titles, but you know, well, I can't Fuck wait for that. Bitch. And I hope all of my list, our listeners can take away from this conversation what I know to be true that you're the most, one of the most interesting, prolific and important voices of a generation. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with me. This was amazing. <laughs> and I learned a lot. Well, too. well, I think it's important. One thing I've learned is, is that it's like, well, you know, Oscar Wilde said, you know, give a man a mask. I'll tell you the truth. And, I mean, we also know honesty without compassion is cruelty, is cruelty, but I think that being able to um, try on a different, uh, put on a disguise is a way to be able to tell your truth because we live in a, in a culture where there is so much shame. We carry so much shame. We carry so much um, that isn't ours. And I think there has been a big silence about physical and sexual abuse. And that's why I'm really grateful that the political scene has changed where we're starting to focus on violence against women and children. And that's why until we start to focus on the inequity and uh, racial injustice, it, we don't have a chance in hell of being able to function uh, in a healthy way and start to really look at the uh, existential threats about 
that's going on with climate change. I mean, I, yeah, that, that there's, it, it's so easy to feel um, overwhelmed, but I also truly believe that it's like a big tangled ball of um, thread. And when you pull one thread out, that's how you start to untangle it. I remember flying into Los Angeles and I was on the way to the set for Deadwood. And I was just struck by, my God, this is a fucking desert. And I was looking at all the the water that was drying up. And, and I said to, to, to Milch, I was like, how do they get water to everybody? I mean, this is just, this is not sustainable. And he looked at me and he said, I'm here to tell a story. You know, we can, I can't solve the water problem, but I can tell a story. And one of the, the, the through line stories that we were going to deal with was the question of, of sustainability of this town of, of water. And so everything is composed of something else. Everything you pull, you tug on one thread and you tell the story. For me, the frustration has been in getting heard. But it's like that Dr. Dr. Sue story, Horton Here's a Who, where it's like, how do you break through and say, we are here, we are here, we are here. And when I think people have the desire to the yearning for, for a connection with something higher than themselves, and maybe that's the, that neutron, what is it, a neutron or an electron, electron, the moon, how do you say it, that, that they can't account for that? that kind of dark matter, why dark matter does what it does it. But it's a, that intangible, that yearning, it's, it's not through Instagram followers. It's, it's not, it's that idea that we are all deeply, deeply connected. And when you solve one problem or when you start to address something that's an inequity, it, it, it interconnects with everything. So, no matter how small, if your if your issue is working on on a dance piece, if you're creating a painting, everything has the power to affect somebody else. And um, I guess I guess the other thing that I try to be careful about is sometimes I it's so easy to kind of get into the moralizing and and feel here. Let me find this one one quote um, that I really like, if I can find it. Um, <laughs> Are you still with me? Absolutely. I want to hear this quote. I love when authors read quotes on the podcast. It's amazing. I don't even know. If, let's see. I don't even know if I got it. Um, no, I guess I don't, I don't know what I did with it. <laughs> that's a real, uh, it's a kind of, um, a, uh, a kind, what is it called? Like a real, um, a cop tease, just fucked up thing to say. Uh, no, nah, I can't find it. Well, here's, here's, uh, I'll, I like this. Um, there are there are no there are no true stories. There are only facts, and the stories we tell ourselves 
And that there are no true stories, there are only facts, and the stories we tell ourselves about those facts. And that's from Becky Cooper, We Keep the Dead Close. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I don't know. I don't know, Justin. There's so many good quotes, though, in our conversation, and we'll, we'll have you back on, and we can do more. <laughs> It was we such can a just great talk one. a bunch of shit, man. We can yeah. just sit and There's talk so much a bunch more to of the, like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's the thing. That's the thing, though. It's like I I created JT because I don't have filters. I think it, I say it. So it's like when people said, like, oh, she's an unreliable narrator. I was like, I could be relied on to be myself, you know? And what's amazing is when people who've gone through some kind of fucked up shit when they watch author they get it right away the more someone has had a sheltered privileged kind of life they watch it and they buy the um kind of capitalist motive like oh of course i did all this shenanigans to fucking meet madonna right it's like that makes sense to them and they're bizarre patriarchal capitalist bullshit world you know because that's what motivates them they do something they do some crazy convoluted fucked up shit with the goal of meeting somebody famous or getting a fucking uh uh gucci bag or some shit so of course my motives had to be you know what the dominant culture is culture motives are and it's like nah baby i know the rules to your game you don't know the rules to mine full well fucking stop and that's why your career will always be lasting and cherished and honored and i'm sure your new work is going to be incredible i can't wait but <laughs> thank you so much we gotta wrap it up now but we'll have you back on for more laura albert aka the great jt roy Thank you for joining the Smoke and Mirrors, all the smoke podcast. I can't thank you enough. I got all the smoke, baby, especially after I got some cabbage in me. Woo! Woo, all the fucking smoke. I love it. Thank you, Laura. <laughs>